a hairless hedgehog. Anything hairless is out. No, they're really cool. I hate hairless cats. Naked ball. That looks like a ball sack. I think that is a ball That is exactly what it is. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. What is up? This is From the Ground Up podcast. Wow. Big emphasis on the up. Welcome to the number five science podcast in Indonesia. Nisha, Nisha, Nisha. I feel like you should say the fifth number. Thank you guys so much for being here. So if you guys want to check out what we have available on our website, we have some isopods and some other cleanup crew. Um, We have springtails. Hopefully we'll have air at springtails soon, but. Yeah, so any of your isopod needs, we have the tro- the uh, go-to tropical species as well as we have some animals that will work in some arid uh, environments. Overall, we have some cool morphs. I've been I've been loving the um, the lavis, porcilio lavis. Sounds dirty. Oh, it's so dirty. They're uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're cleanup. What do you mean? They're not dirty. They're it's, cleaners. You know, it sounds like not dirty. Milk back. They're <laughs> doesn't sound <laughs> dirt dirty. It sounds adult dirty. Ah, so the we have the the milk back morph, which is like a gray brownish coloration <laughs> with a creamy center going down the, <laughs> the top of it. We also have the uh, dairy cows. So I finally got those for people who listened to the podcast before. Uh, we were talking about potentially getting dairy cows. We did it. Oh, you can say you did it. I had no part in any of this. Oh, did I say we? <laughs> Usually you get mad when I don't say we. Yeah, this one I'm okay. Oh, okay. I fit. <laughs> wow, first time, Stop. huh? They don't know. Keep no, talking. Sorry. So, podcast, getting to it. So, today we have Wait, on... no. Where are we going this weekend? This weekend we're going to Southeast Carpet Fest. Thanks for keeping me on track. So if you guys want to check out Southeast Carpet Fest has an auction on the Southeast Carpet Fest group on Facebook. And they have a bunch of really, really cool, awesome things to check out. They have a voucher for us for $150. They also have a voucher from a lot of other really, really cool people, as well as some really cool, cool like one-of-a-kind items in which you won't find anywhere else. And if you're going to Southeast Carpet Fest this weekend, we'll see you there. Okay, podcast time. So excited. So excited. Just to be to be warm, to be with all the reptile people that we haven't met yet because we haven't been out to Florida and there's like a whole different group of people there and I can't wait to meet everyone and to hang out for the weekend and hopefully we'll uh, film a video or something while we're there. You're bringing camera equipment in our like two-inch space allowed by Spirit? One, yeah. <laughs> It may not be approved by Spirit, but I will bring a Canon G7X and two lapel mics. I think I can, I think I can figure that out. Okay, that's pretty small. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, but, I mean, you really got to be careful with that Spirit Frontier, folks. They're real serious about the carry-ons. Okay, can we talk about the podcast? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Oh, yeah, I was on a podcast. Sorry, James, I messed this up. 
uh, the Reptile Gumbo podcast. I was on that podcast with James Lewis and Carly Jones. And uh, you get to join me on my ride through Pennsylvania and uh, Carly and James talking about all different types of reptile related things. Why am I doing so bad at talking tonight? I think this is a sign in which, and if I'm, if I start talking well, you're coughing. So it's a really good uh, combo. So we need our guests to talk to really save us in this predicament here. Such a good intro. Let me tell you. <laughs> So today's guests have a whole variety of, they have old world rat snakes, as well as ball pythons, as well as skinks. So Ryan Goodman and Ben Levin of R&B Reptiles, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Hey, what's up? up? (laughs) What's going on? Nothing, guys. So I want to kind of start off, why don't we start off at the beginning of how you guys met? Um, Sure. I just, can I ask you one quick question though? Yeah. Oh gosh! What, uh, Carpet Fest is in what town again? Melrose, Florida, right outside. Or should I have out- said that? You should have. Yeah, you probably. Two hours outside of Orlando. We'll see you there, <laughs> Orlando. Yeah. I don't know. We we're just like, oh, it's this weekend. Maybe we should fly down. And I'm looking up flights right now. What? <laughs> well, uh, Spirit Flight, whatever, whatever, leaves at four fifty-five. <laughs> I'm in. Hmm. Uh, out of Atlantic City, out of Philly, out yeah. of Philly. You fly out of Atlantic City? We can, we do. Spirit does. We never thought about that, to be honest. It's usually cheaper to fly out of AC if you uh, want to take the commute. How far of a drive is that? North or south of? Is it north or south of Orlando? This is riveting for your south uh, listeners. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk more logistics. So, if you happen to get in around. 7.45, you can ride with us. What? Dang. Imagine that. But, I mean, the chances <laughs> of you getting a flight for four days from now is seems very slim. It's but, possible, I believe. You. So how we met. <laughs> <laughs> how we met. We met at church. Yeah. We, we uh, grew up together. Um, and as we lasses, the laddies... Wait. Yeah, laddies. Hmm. Lads. Lads. Because <laughs> we're both oh. Scottish now. <laughs> He's German. Um, we met in Sunday school when we were like three and tolerated each other for a while. And then we kind of fell apart. But, you know, life catches up with you. And then uh, I tricked him into going to a reptile show one time. And Ben can take it from here because he's still salty about it. I'm not salty. It's he he was like bugging me for like a couple of years because we used to hang out, and then you know life happens and we don't see each other. And then he was like, "You got to go to a reptile show," and I'm like, "Dude, I'm not even into reptiles. Like whatever." For like two years, and then finally I was like, "All right, fine. I never get to hang out with you. Let's let's do it. When is it?" And he was like, "I'll call you right back." I'm like, "Okay." He calls me back in like 15 minutes. He's like, "All right, it's in Daytona, and it's you know like a month away." And I'm like, "Daytona, Florida." So, for like, reference, they live in New Jersey. <laughs> what was that? Yeah, we're in Jersey. Yeah. So uh, we flew down. We did Daytona. He talked me into. He wanted me to buy a snake. He's like Ben. I have that like, wasn't the pitch. The pitch was if you wanted to buy a snake, I would raise it for you, and breed it, and I'll sell the babies. I'll give you out the money. Essentially, I get a free snake from him. Yeah. He went a little overboard. <laughs> Not true. 
Not true at all. I, I wish I would have known the market a little bit better than I did. And uh, we talk about that all the time. But I was like, look, you know, like, I don't know anything about these things. And, and people are like showing us ball pythons. And I'm like, look, I don't want to touch that. It's Ryan's deal. And uh, so he had nine snakes at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had zero. So I was like, well, if I'm going to get in, I got to at least match him, right? So I bought five snakes in Daytona and we shipped them back. Wow. And two of them were adult females. And he's like, I'm, I was thinking we'd buy a snake in like in a year or something, breed. And I'm like, I want to have babies like right now. So um, I'm more of a business guy. So I saw like banana ball pythons were selling for $25,000, you know, and uh, it's just, I was like, there's money to be made, you know, it's whatever. And then now after like, actually it wasn't even that long, I started to fall in love with all the, the animals. And uh, yeah, we started a business. We bred our first year that year. I bought like that was eight years ago. Five more snakes. Yeah, it was like eight and a half years ago. I bought like five more snakes within the next like month and a half to try to catch up. And then we just were like rolling. Tried to breed our own rats. <laughs> Did you guys produce that first year? Yeah. So we went to the it was twenty twelve um Daytona in August. And by that uh March we had our first clutch. That's wild. So how was it like just jumping full out into the fire? <laughs> well, a little stressful. I didn't know. I didn't know anything about it. So I'm like, look, you just put these together. Like, I don't know. You know, I'm like thinking, oh, well, if they're the right age and size, cares, right? Like just like dogs and cats. No, it's not I, like that. <laughs> I have been doing my research for many years, but I was on track to the, you know, a year later, I was expecting my first parents had the incubator together and all that stuff to have it. You know, sped up till you know, like three months later, having eggs on the ground was a little frustrating and challenging. But we got through it, and it was successful. And uh, it's been pretty successful ever since, I think. Yeah. So, it's been a fun ride. <laughs> so, is there anything that you were interested right off the bat in? I mean, I, it seems like you guys started with ball pythons, but were there any like mutations or anything that that caught your eye in particular? So for me personally, like uh, it was probably in like 2000, I was looking at chocolate ball pythons and they were like $20,000 at the time. Jesus Lord. Fauna Classifieds, like this is way back. And I was like, man, if I had the money, that's what I would get. Uh, but I don't know what what did what were you interested in? I was interested in I was in, interested in anything that was like colorful and had a cool name. Like seriously, like I I'm like before then I'm a car guy. I'm a, a bit of a sports guy. Like I played sports. I'm like computers. I'm into anything that moves. Like I want to ride dirt bikes. I want like all that stuff. So he's like, here, look at the snake. I'm like. What do I know about snakes? You know, so I was like, "Ooh, a pastel! That sounds real cool." And like, no, he's like, "No, nah. you don't want to do a pastel like, now." What? <laughs> like everybody wants a bumblebee because it sounds cool. <laughs> like we probably made know. a lot of really bad decisions. We definitely did, yeah. Because he didn't know anything, and since I was spending his money, I felt weird about telling him what he should buy. So I tried to gently direct him in certain ways, but. For the most part, he just bought whatever he felt like. <laughs> <laughs> it 
It was a good time. I mean, yeah. you know, a learning I'm, experience for sure. We were up to like, so we produced uh, that first that first year. We I think we had three clutches that first year, two or three clutches the first year. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I know it was only ball pythons. It's not like all the other stuff that we have today, or you know what you guys work with. But you know, our first year and uh, we did super Mojave to normal. We yeah. did a firefly to a normal. <laughs> Man, hell <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're beautiful babies. And. Uh, and we were like, oh man, we're we're producing stuff. And I just kept buying. Like I was just buying. We we probably got up to like thirty ball pythons in the first year, easy. Yeah. And I just kept on buying because once you get that itch, you know. But I wasn't buying the stuff that I should have been buying, you know. Really, looking back at it. But, so when did you really like learn the market, or at least just learn, get your footing, and know what you were doing a little bit? Did you learn? <laughs> <laughs> I think I have a handle on it now, but. Um, I think that there's always things that are changing and moving and um, we, it took me a couple of years to really understand what was going on. Cause I had to learn genetics. I had to learn, like I had basic ideas, but I, I wasn't great at it. Um, so I had to learn what things were, what morphs were back then, you know, you can go on um, world of all pythons and there was like, you know, a thousand morphs and you're like, Oh man, let me look at all these. Now there's like a hundred thousand morphs and there's a bunch of them are all the same. And, you know, ball pythons, they, a lot of people, they can hate on them or whatever, but they're just fun. Like we almost got out of them for a while or we cut down real bad. Um, but they're just, they're just fun. Like just making new things and stuff like that. But um, I guess it was maybe three years in, we said we need to start diversifying and we bought blue tongue skinks, and I think the first thing we rhino rat snakes, the pair of rhino rat snakes. Yeah, we bought a pair of rhino. Oh, and black tail creepos. Oh, those were awesome. We love the black tail creepos, but man, that's a sad story. <laughs> sad. So, yeah, you get to. It's not that. It's not a sad story, but I regret it. We we found a, a lady at Tinley selling them, and we went in with one of our friends at the time, or still our friend, but and um, uh, we got what was it five. It was like five pair or something. We kept mm-hmm. a pair of them. We kept a pair. And yeah. um, I raised them up for a year, and I really didn't have the right setup for them, and space was an issue, and I started going back and forth about it, and I was like, ah, you know, let's sell them because I, they really need to be in like a four-foot cage when they're adults. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I ended up selling them, and we bought them for like a, a real deal. The 250 yeah. <laughs> It was a crazy deal. So it was like super great. And then I, I posted them. And I'm like, let's just see, because there weren't a lot on available and there I raised them for a year. So I said, I'll just put them for like a thousand dollars a piece to see what happens. And they were sold immediately. I was like, Oh, I should have kept those. <laughs> we should have bought some of the most profitable snakes you've probably ever had, man. Yeah, they are actually yeah, they're yeah. A good, a good turnover. Yeah, so we've been one. trying to pick them up ever since. And that deal's never resurfaced. Yeah. <laughs> It's hard to find the right ones in those. And we had to learn, too. Like, we were like, oh, these are really cool. But, you know, later in life, you start seeing um, how to tell if they're, the genetics are or, like, the bloodlines are a little too close from the parents in the way the scales look and stuff like that. And you're like, so you don't want to infuse scales. You want the zipper scale and all that stuff. At the time, I didn't know that. Yeah, so you learn. And we're like, man, these are really cool. And they are really cool snakes. Like, we've held adults, and they're really cool. But there's two things, you know, they get big. And if you YouTube, you know, yellowtail or blacktail crevos feeding response, you start to get hesitant. <laughs> like, very different from a ball. 
Oh, they fling themselves out of the bin like insane. It's, and it's that's one of our first Kalubra experiences. So yeah. like, we we didn't have the chops at the time to feel like we could handle an eight foot long Kalubra that was going to miss a lot of faces. Yeah, and uh, we've have I have we have a handful of friends that have them or have had them, and everybody that has ever had them said the worst snake bite they've ever had was from a black tail creepo or a yellow tail creepo. Wow. Of all the snakes, and you're like people that get bit. All the time, and they're like, Let's oh, preface yeah. this. they're awesome, and I will buy they them. They are right awesome, now yeah. <laughs> if there's anybody on here, just yeah. message us, we'll you know, we'll be looking at them. But but they do have this uh habit of grabbing on a thing and sort of gnawing on them in a sawing manner, which makes lacerations instead of puncture wounds that you're used for from pythons. Yeah, and uh, the first time that happened to me, I was like, Oh, that's different, <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> so, and they're and I can't say they're real bitey to be honest, like they're not like a bitey. No, it only happened once, and I was harassing it to get a photo, so yeah, uh, I'll I, take my responsibility in that. They just they, when it happens, they don't really show like a lot of snakes will, like you know, you kind of read them and stuff. Where black tail creepers, they're just like, Oh, this is nice here, let me just bite you. Like, there's no like, you know, and they want to take off a chunk of flesh or they want to grab you up and smash you on a rock or something, you know, so it's like. It's a different experience, but it's fun, and we really like them. I, I really want to get back into them. So, <laughs> yeah, those are really awesome snakes, but definitely uh, about as different from a ball python as you can get. For sure, yeah, I wouldn't call it a beginner species. Yeah. So, how'd you jump from that to rhino rats? Was also is another snake out of left field that like. <laughs> Yeah, how do you even find out about them and get into them? You just cruise in the net and you see awesome snakes. And you're like, whoa, that's really cool. So that's basically yeah. the whole story. Yeah, well, we we um, Ryan knows a lot about a lot of animals, and I'm new to a bunch of them, and I'm learning more and more. But uh, he's like, man, these rhino rat snakes are really cool, and we happen to be at a friend's house that had them. And um, our rhino rat snake purchases are really funny stories, but um, we – we were like, oh, let's get a pair. So we got a pair. We raised them up. They became, we got them about adults or so. And then a friend of ours, Matthew Mosa, you know, we were talking about earlier. He's like, we were at Tinley. <laughs> and Tinley's like, you stay up real late. You know, everybody's out partying and whatever. You're going from room to room and you're just hanging out. And So we get to bed and I got to bed at like early for Tinley. I got to bed at like 1 a.m. or so. And I was like, oh, you know, and Matt, messaged me and he goes hey and i'm like hey and he's like what are you doing and i'm like i'm going to bed what are you doing and he sends me pictures of like snakes with steak like he's cooking steak and he has a tomahawk steak. yeah big steaks he has like alcohol and cigars and like all this cool stuff and he's like holding these snakes and i'm like dude what are you where are you at right now he's like look 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 do you want to buy five round of rat snakes right now for a killer deal and i'm like i'm like okay sure so it's like it was actually it was a screaming deal five five babies for a thousand bucks and i was like all right here's my money take it you know and in the morning we get down to breakfast and we were helping a, a friend of ours vend at tinley so we get down there early and i'm like i'm like oh you know how'd you sleep and ryan's like oh it was rough and blah 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 because we don't stay in the same room yeah and, <laughs> and i was like oh by the way i bought five rhino rat snakes last night and he's like I left you at 1 a.m. and it's 7 a.m. What are you talking about? <laughs> but, you know, rhino rat snakes are awesome. Also, like you're saying, very, very different from. We had decided that we wanted to get into some rare stuff that not a lot of people had because 
one, it would be interesting for us, and two, we thought it's a, a good business decision to diversify the collection and to have small batch things that you can't really get that you pretty much have a waiting list of people trying to buy the babies is really convenient for a business. So that's how we kind of went down that rabbit hole, and it's been a really fun ride, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's like – go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, just like what you guys have, like – um, looking at your collection when we were there, there's just a bunch of things that are really awesome. Like uh, some of the, even the snakes that you're like, well, we can't really handle these ones because they're real crazy or whatever. Like it doesn't matter because they're super rare or they're super fun to deal with. And uh, really cool uh, natural history that is associated yeah, with you, them. And you're definitely like super knowledgeable about that stuff. And it was uh, very impressive. So we're you know hoping to get there on your level at some time, you know? You too. I appreciate it. But it's like it's like those species, um, a lot of times they sell as soon as you put them up. But if I produced like five clutches of them, then that probably wouldn't happen anymore. So it's like, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a thin line. Like there's only so many people that are into it. But at the same time, like they sell immediately, just don't overproduce them. It's a weird, uh, mm-hmm. weird like balancing act with the rare stuff like that. Yeah, I think... It depends on the species, I think. I I feel like, you know, how you market yourself is really important. Um, when people start to know that you have, like, certain things, you know, like, and they're, they're coming to you for it, just like you guys are, um, it's easier to, to, you know, help people into their new animals. Uh, so and I, the, I think the market's big. The YouTube presence actually helps because a lot of these rare things, they don't have um, sort of PR campaigns about them that other species have. So they people that would be interested in getting involved with them don't even know they exist. So the, the more we can give them access to that and show them how awesome they are as animals, how easy or hard the care may be, depending on what they're looking for, mm-hmm. um, you know, because some people – are tired of the old beginner snakes and they want something a little more advanced and challenging and something they could kind of crack the code on, you know what I mean? So, and also uh, dovetail off of that. Um, I think that there's a change in uh, how people perceive the the hobbies. Um, When we talk to other breeders and they're like, oh man, it's hard to find out information about this or that. Um, But nowadays, like, we like personally, we want to share the information because we know that if we share it with people, then they, they will get excited. They can get excited because, you know, sometimes you, you are hesitant to get into a, a species or an animal because you don't know anything about it and you can't find information about it. And that's one of our big things is, you know, trying to get people to understand the species and to, to feel comfortable about it so that they can, you know, be out there and having real fun experiences like we do, what we enjoy. So yeah, and I think that that's part of that's part of the whole thing. You know, it's why we do this. It's why you guys are doing YouTube. It's kind of also showcasing the fact that we get to work with these animals and the fact that we get to talk to each other and hang out with each other and the community involved. Um, I think it just gives everyone a much more immersive like experience and feeling and like more, you know, people want to be part of it. And I'm glad that uh, we can make that kind of environment. And I'm glad that i can talk to random people every week and stuff yeah man that's awesome that's a fun piece of this too is like networking and connecting with each other you know 
Like I, we're all about it. We I want to I want to call other people right now on the phone. <laughs> Get them on here. Let's just do it. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. Like it's fun. When did you guys When did you guys first start your YouTube channel? So we started <laughs> a really long time ago, but we didn't pay any attention for quite a while. It's a very big commitment if you want to do it right. Yeah, and I, I'm not I'm preaching to the choir to you, but for everybody else that's out there, if if a lot of people will go on and they'll post random stuff that they don't maybe no one put the most thought or you know production value into. Not that we're great or anything, but we're not. They're not. <laughs> we we don't even pay the guy that does the the, the bar editing. is really low, <laughs> but you got to be consistent and you got to you know you know be a little entertaining that people want to watch. But um, if you don't put that serious effort into it, it's not going to go anywhere. You get frustrated. You're going to see nobody's watching and you're going to quit and it's going to be for nothing. So yeah. that's what we did. <laughs> we put zero effort into it for like, I don't know, six years and uh, nothing happened with it. And then we decided uh, it was about a year ago that we were going to be serious about it and at least do one video a week. That's at least 15 minutes long and, you know, do real editing and do real keywords and do real thumbnails. And we did that for a while and it started to grow. And people seem to like it. So, I mean, the real reason that we did it was because, number one, we wanted to be able to market ourselves because it's it's hard. You know, you can only go to so many shows to meet people. And to get your name out there, this is a great way to do it. Facebook kind of pigeonholes you. 2013. 2013. Facebook kind of puts you in your own little echo chamber. So you can't really get out to new people that well unless you pay them. And even then, they're probably sending your stuff to the wrong people. Yeah. So we thought it would be a good way to get people, not only meet people, but get them into our collection and you know see what we got going on, see how we take care of our animals, see our passion for the animals, uh, explain to them all the details that they might want to ask, but they don't have that resource for people to reach out to. And, uh, you know, that was sort of the goal of it all. And, it's going pretty well, I think. Yeah, we we kind of got back like real serious. It was like almost a year we're coming up on. It's a year. It's a year, and then you know probably about it was one video a week, and then we about four months in, we said maybe we should do two. That was a big step because that two videos a week is a lot of work. Yeah, it's to be honest, but it's more than you think, and and uh, it really changes how you do things. Like like you're saying, you're going to be going on a trip. Let's video stuff. We're like, we need to go on trips just a video. Like when we went to Tinley last year or in October, we did, we tried to get five videos out of that trip. So we go, we always go up a, a couple days early and we'll film at different places. You know, we did Brian Barchek's and then we did uh, Forrest Fanning's Matthew and, and Matthew Most. And then we went to Tinley and the whole time we're filming, like it's, Ryan says it's exhausting for me. I mean, it is, but I can I can turn on and like just be on for like nonstop. He's a more of a social butterfly than I am. Not he, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> so, my yeah, have really really covered a lot of ground as far as the places that you've been and the collections that you've seen. We I want to keep it interesting because a yeah. lot of people do the, a lot of the same stuff over and over again. You'll see. Uh, reptile YouTubers and they'll go it almost seems like they're following the same pattern where we're going to this collection we're going to this collection and then two weeks later the next guy's going to the same collection 
I'm trying to go off the beaten path to like all these and especially to highlight like some of the rare stuff or places that have never been filmed before that nobody's even you know reached out to. So yeah, and and for us it's interesting to do that because we get to meet great people and see awesome animals. But also I think people online like it too. So yeah, and I think you know seeing just anybody's collection too because for us it's it's not just oh man you have like some real awesome real crazy rare animal. It's more like. I want to connect with people, you know, like I want to connect with this guy because he's really passionate about what he does. You know, like you guys are real passionate about what you do. And we're like, yeah, I want to, you know, I want to get involved. I want to see like, so even if it's small collections, we have a friend who he has like six snakes and I videoed over there like twice. Those oh, videos wow. get a ton of views, but there are. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Matt Cleaver. <laughs> we try to make them in like all of our videos. MattCleaver.com. <laughs> Not really. And I and I know that I told you guys this, but for everyone, I mean, go check out that Matthew Most video. I mean, that is the most content that you're ever going to see on old world rat snakes and different colubrids. I mean, the the, the amount of information, and it's like you know, it's almost an hour, right? I mean, there's so much information in that video. And we're gonna we're gonna be going back there. We've uh, you know we have a good relationship with Matt, and uh, we're you know, we're friends before we are buying animals, to be honest. And uh, we've just gotten into, we purchased a lot of animals from him. We've, you know, got a lot of advice from him. And um, now we're doing breeding projects together. And uh, so we are going to, we have a plan to to go back, to fly back out to his house and do like real specific care videos on each species that he has. Um, you know, and he's like one of the top guys in the country on, on these old world rat probably, things. Probably top five, yeah. Him and they're all the those guys are all a pretty close group that are working on these really rare projects. Yeah. Um one of the reasons that it was important, like not only we met him through looking for rare colubrids, but one of the reasons why we kind of focused on getting his collection out there is for the longest time when I was trying to research before i got into these rare colubrids i could not find any information out there it was very sporadic um you would look up a species on youtube and it would be a 30 second video with no audio of a snake eating a rat you know what i mean yeah. it was almost zero educational value whatsoever i'm like this information needs to get out there because these things aren't going to gain interest from people that are going to buy them not know what they're doing with them and they die you know yeah. what I mean? So it was very important for me personally to get that information out there. And that's one of the goals with the actually doing his collection and some of the other rare species that we highlight in our YouTube videos. It's because they're awesome animals, but there's not a lot you can do when, you know, you're going to an importer and getting a wild caught and you can't establish it. You have no idea what the care conditions are. You have no idea where it came from or how to breed it or anything. And I think there's a lot of snakes out there that are like not known to the public how difficult they are to keep. Mm -hmm. We talk about all the time, like we see sunbeam snakes at almost every show. And it's always a And first it's time like, I understand why they're there because they look like rainbows and who mm -hmm. doesn't love rainbows, right? But every time I'm like, oh, you're like 12, please, please. <laughs> You're gonna kill it. You're gonna kill super it. Super advanced care for those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They are um, And it's like But and then on the flip side though, there's like the old world stuff that's actually really easy to keep. Oh and yeah. And like 
I think highlighting that is just as important because, I mean, I can have a rare rat snake that is so incredibly easier to keep than a ball python mm-hmm. and people don't even know about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Agreed. And there's like some of the fears you can talk about, you know, that, that you have like our uh, Japanese forest rats that can spix. They, they don't have to eat for the first year. Yeah, have one born and not born and not eat for a year. They come out of their first formation is is common. And people freak out and start trying to force feed them, and and the stress of that kills them. But they don't know because the information is just not out there. Yeah. So like, we're when we first got into them, Matthew, we got them from Matt, and he's like, he's like, oh man, all right, don't worry if they don't eat. You know, do this, do that, and and we were like nervous, but they worked out really well, and and uh, it was awesome. And we were like, dude, you got to let us come video. He's like, nobody's ever videoed here, you know, and he's a little nervous and stuff like that. And a lot of people are, but he let us, you know, he let us come in and do it. And it's kind of our gig. I feel like video in people's places that they've never done before. Um, we have a video posting today that uh, of Northern Gecko, and he's never had anybody video his collection either. And he has probably one of the more extensive gecko collections, you know, in, in definitely in Canada. Maybe, you know, Probably around more than that. Yeah. His <laughs> unbelievable animals and um, super diverse, super awesome animals. And you're like, look, we're just a couple of nice guys from Jersey trying to hang out. You know, that's it. We're not, we're not, we're not looking, we're not looking to, we're not looking to like do anything crazy. We don't even own a single gecko. We don't yet. Yes. <laughs> yet. So. <sighs> Well, I mean, you got skinks, so you're in. Uh, you're half. You're getting there. Yeah, I re- we we do want a, a handful, but the problem is when we go into something like that, we're like, well, you can't just get like a common, you know, genetic or, or locale. You got to like get fifteen like, twenty thousand dollars to dump in the leeches or something. <laughs> I don't want to spend that much, but I was thinking maybe like six. No, <laughs> <laughs> lesson yet. <laughs> can't limp in the projects. <laughs> So I mean that's that's something that's getting super popular though, right? Like lychees and uh, yeah, cresseds are obviously have been here for a while, but uh, yeah, I think behind them. Yeah, I think the le- the cressets are gonna come back as well. Saying yeah, and I mean they're uh, cressets are probably like one of the most perfect first pet reptiles. Oh yeah. I know, I know that's probably not what you guys go for, but we usually, you know, we sell to first time pet owners with the corn snakes and rats. Yeah, really, I'll take a half a dozen lily whites right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, it's not that we don't do that. Like we do. It's just, we think about uh, a little bit of our space. Like some of the animals that we have just take up space and, you know, keep them properly for what we got. And so it's hard for us to have, we're operating most of the business out of my spare bedroom at my house at the moment. So and now this, and now the now the family room is now not the family. You see all room the anymore. skin cracks that we're just finishing up putting the heat tape on and stuff. Oh, yeah. so this is just part of it. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. This yeah. is overflow. This isn't the main collection. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to, you know, there is a business side to it. So we have to kind of weigh what we want to do versus what we have know, to do. What's financially <laughs> responsible, but. For the most part, I mean, it doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> yeah, and what's like the proper balance? I mean, I think everyone's trying to find that balance, but how do you maintain animals to the highest 
degree that you feel comfortable while maintaining a whole, you know, numbers of them. Yeah. It, it makes it tough to, cause there's a lot of animals that are cool, but they may only be like, you know, corn snakes are awesome, but a lot of them are only like 15, 20, $30 a piece. It's hard to have a collection of 200 of those when that's probably, I mean, I guess it'll pay the electric and food bill, but you're not going to get anything else much out of it unless you get to the real high end of corn snakes. Yeah. The, the palmettos are pretty cool, but yeah, you guys have a bunch of really high end more, uh, corn snakes. Not really though. If we needed to make a business out of it, we would need 10,000 of them. That's, yeah. That's gotta be, that's a, the deal. It's a passion project at that point because you gotta either be able to produce the volume to get the money out of it. Yeah. Or, you're passionate about it and it doesn't matter to you, you know? Yeah. There's, and there's with a lot of animals and a lot of things. And, and, uh, when we talk with forest fanning, even when you're breeding rats, which, you know, like if you want to make money in this hobby, breed it, breed food, that's where your money's at. Right. So, um, when you start looking at breeding, even if it's rats or, or breeding, uh, you know, a lower dollar animal, you really need to have the, the volume, but then there's a balance where it doesn't scale well. Like at some point, it's your overhead starts to become getting crazy, you know? And, um, we, we try to take that into account with what we have. Cause you know, we could, we could buy, even with ball pythons, we could buy like 20 pied ball pythons and make pies and sell every one of them all day long, you know, no problem. But we, we are like, yeah, we want to do that. But we also have all these passions for the other stuff. And you got to make that decision to say, well, I can, you know, sell a $200 or $300 snake all day or sell a few snakes that are a couple thousand dollars. And if I had the space, I would, I would do a little bit more of that just because that's a more consistent income. But when you have the space, like you're saying, like it's, you just got to find that balance, the right deal. Yeah. I feel like there's, there's some people, the people who do it on a good level, um, like the long-term breeders who, breed and sell wholesale and that's their living. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like you got to accept the fact that it's going to be for us. I mean, at least it would be boring as hell. You'd have to produce the same thing over and over again. I'm yeah. Sure. yeah. There's uh the guy from uh, Rotom Pro, if I can, I don't know, I don't know if I just want to say that. Why are you name dropping? I don't mean the name drop. <laughs> so, guy. so a guy that we don't want to talk his name. No. So, <laughs> Uh, people that we know, and it, it's not just him, but also uh, a bunch of other anim animal breeders that, you know, they come down to the idea where it's it's uh, the cost of living, you know, for the animal, each individual animal. And so the, the value of that animal is really just intrinsic to how uh, passionate or, or rare or whatever people find it to be. But in reality, it doesn't cost any different from having a, a $10,000 ball python to having a $5 ball python. It's the exact same cost to, to keep them. Um, and so uh, you, you learn a lot from talking to guys that have, have really done, you know, real big breeding. You learn a lot from saying, all right, there's, there is balances like we're talking, but also to, to better understand how to. The bottom line of care. Yeah. What you got to put into materials and staff and time, it equals a number. And as long as you can get that number for that snake, it doesn't matter what you sell it for. Right. And so, but to your point, like you don't, I, we don't want to get to that point where like, it's just a number, it's just a bin, you know, and you're producing the same thing over and over again, like you're saying. But uh, also at the end of the day, you're like, well, I want to have 
a handful of animals that I can sell on a regular consistent basis so that I can, so that I can, you know, go out and buy the bolines, pythons that we want to get. And, and we'll probably never get a clutch on them. <laughs> one day we'll get one. But, so, do you want to do this full time eventually? This podcast? Uh, it, I didn't know you guys were paying us. I thought, but two hours. I thought it was like full time is like. I'll give you the AdSense. <laughs> right. It's in the mail. Yeah, dollar so, twenty. Yeah, I could. Do, <laughs> we could buy some ramen. It'll be great. <laughs> um, it would be great. I think. I think it's fun. We enjoy it. That's my goal, but I don't know how realistic it is. Right. It's tough, you know. Um, there's some really big breeders that do well, you know, doing this, and uh, there's a lot of hobbyists that are. When they switch over, it's tough. And, and you know, like, is that what you want to do? Like, we both have jobs outside that, you know, really pay the bills and are consistent. And, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to be negative at all, uh-uh. but I've seen how most career breeders end up. And it's usually like not on an island somewhere retired <laughs> in Florida or something like that. I don't know anyone um, who's Dan like Maliri. Who, yeah, I don't. I don't know many people. <laughs> be like the, Dan be like, you got to be like top five percent. No, I guess just like anything else. Oh, yeah, successful. You got to be. You got to be pretty high up as far as like the top. Uh, someone who does something consistently at a really high level for a really long time. Agreed. You're absolutely right. And you have to actually know a little bit about business because a lot of people think they're just going to sell themselves, and it, it doesn't really work that way. And all the successful people that I've talked to they actually know their numbers, meaning mm-hmm. like we, cause we, we go willy nilly, whatever snakes, you know, aren't about the money, but, but at the same time, the only successful I know people I know who do it, they really know all the numbers and stuff like that. And I think that's super important. And I think that's probably like the one thing that people kind of misguide other people on is the fact that you need to know your business. Yeah, there's a lot about marketing yourself and marketing the animals that gets kind of left behind in the dream that gets sold. And really, I mean, if you're, it's very hard with all the competition that is out there in any of the markets to kind of rise above and get that sale. So, um, yeah, please take that into consideration when you're <laughs> getting into when you're formulating your business plans. <laughs> So <clears throat> different subject, but what is y'all's most recent purchase? We bought some today. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so today we got, we can go, we get us some every day. You want us to go grab it? Is that what you're saying? Go grab it. Go for it. We'll go grab it. If that's a positive experience for you. As long it as is. It is. Too crazy. A chocolate highway clown. Nope, not a ball python. Something ball python. I'm just picking up. <laughs> oh, so I know what it is. Here's one of them. Let's see if I can get it in frame. Oh, did I see that on Instagram today? Yeah, yes. you probably did. <laughs> I was about to say, I remember liking we got today one of the a pair um my spatial recognition here is uh, lacking <laughs> did someone have on the podcast talk about finding these no you may be going crazy. i feel like i found these i found these at fedex today 
<laughs> deep in the wilds of FedEx. Deep in the wilds of FedEx. Can we can we talk about maybe the genetics behind that animal? We can try. We can or, try. I don't know if it's classified info. I'm just curious. It's not classified info at all. Um, so I can call Matthew most right now. <laughs> you keep on threatening, threatening me with that. You can, uh, you can go for it. So uh, at the time of this recording, it is presumed to be a recessive trait. Um, <laughs> these were just hatched out with um, from a het to het, I believe it was, was the pairing. No, it was a visual to het, and there were some visual aberrants in it and some hets. So um, the assumption is that the pair we have are het aberrant. And yep. hopefully we'll help prove that out in three years or whenever they mature. Yep. It's part of the breeding projects that we're doing with Matthew Most. Um, you know, he gives us, uh, basically he'll me message us and say, hey, so I want to sell you these animals. Send me money and I'll send these over to you. And we're like, oh, done. Like every time. I don't, I don't mean to, but. I can't refuse the guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he does give us a good deal and he's a good friend and he has given us a couple snakes to like separate the collection. But I really, when we went to his house, I saw adults of those and I was like, the moles are awesome. Like they're just big fun. snake, right? How yeah. big are they? It's yeah. like seven foot. Seven, again. eight feet. I think an adult, but they're not, they're not real fat. Like they're, you know, a colubrid size. So it's uh, manageable. And um, the, they have a pretty bad rap of being bitey. Um, so they can be. I early kind of early on in our uh, in our career, we were at Hamburg Reptile Show, and a guy had one, and he was and Ryan's like, "Yeah, hold that, Ben." And I was it like, was "Okay." An, so it was an adult. It, it probably was, was all six and a half feet or something, maybe yeah. seven foot. It was kind of small for an adult, oddly enough. Now thinking about it, you know, but uh, I held it, and I'm like, "Oh, this is pretty cool," you know. I don't know anything about these, but then we held the ones from Matt, and we're like, "I I thought they're awesome. Their heads get super bright red." You know, their bodies stay pretty green. They get a little greener than what they are. They're just real cool. So, real excited. Yeah, and I believe that's a joint pairing between Matthew Mose and Larry Keller, right? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. You're right and, on, on target. And and Larry Keller was actually the first one to breed uh, Mullendorfi when they first came into into the that. United States. So, uh, Larry's uh, an old-schooled guy old school guy and he's bred a lot of animals and that's one of them he's the first one to produce them which is crazy yeah we're hoping to uh do a, a video with him soon yeah oh, that's no, interesting no one definitely no too. one's ever seen that yeah we're we're going after the uh the un ungettable <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's our deal like um like i was saying one of the the, the only reason ryan hired me on was Aside from my good looks, is is my networking ability. So uh, it actually was really a conversation in a hot tub that was like way too whoa, late. Whoa, 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 whoa! At the <laughs> at Daytona, we're like, Ryan's like, look, 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 I'll, I'll I'll let you in on this little business. You know, we can have it. You know, I'll, I'll give you a make you an offer that you can't refuse. And I'm all like, dude, I'm in. And he's like. Whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, I don't like really talking to people. You talk too much. This is perfect. <laughs> and then I just point at people. I'm like, make him our friend. And he just goes. That, and that's true. <laughs> I really do that. Even when he's like, make him your friend. And it's like some person on a plane. And I'm like, oh, hey. <laughs> How's it going? I like your face. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I get real confused on how to, 
how do I give compliments? It was funny. <laughs> the last time we were on a plane together, it was we went to Tinley with a, a group of other people that we brought along, and it was their first Tinley experience. And by the end of the plane ride, it was the bet was whoever can get the stewardesses to pose in a picture with them is the winner. <laughs> it didn't turn. It's turned into that actually. It started with who can get a picture with the person sitting next to you. I was like, bang, right away. And then by the end of it, there was like three stewardesses. They were all hugging. It was like real weird. Like I don't know what's going on. But... <laughs> it wasn't just me. Like look, I gotta win the bet. <laughs> it was Kai from Lucas Landon Royals. Uh, he's one of our friends that he's on our videos, you know, from ran randomly. But he went to Tinley with us. He was on our flight, and he was like, and Hiram. Yeah, yeah, but they weren't on the same flight. So. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, they're on the way there. It's funny we bring people along to all like trips whenever we go to places. Yeah, I mean that's it seems like well, it's definitely like a large part of this, but how do you as someone at home right now who's like not necessarily that keen on talking to people but they're in the snakes which is like honestly 90% of us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how do you how do you like dip your toe in the water to get involved? Like involved with people? Yeah, or just like the community oh, in general. So giving advice. Really, I mean. I got it. I got it. I got it. You ready? Yeah. So you like snakes, right? You like to talk about them? So do I. So just That's talk to somebody about that like snakes about snakes, and you'll find yourself talking for an hour and a half. And you'll be like, wow, that's the most I've talked in six months. <laughs> it's <laughs> the truest thing. One of the things we do, and, and we've invited you guys, and hopefully you guys can come to the next one, but we do this dinner like kind of quarterly. And we just get people together that are into reptiles, right? And these guys, a lot of times, are like, I don't talk to anybody. And we'll talk to, like, their wives or or their girlfriends, you know? Like, you know, sometimes there's girls that come too, but a lot of times it's guys. But um, And they're like, yeah, they don't talk. They're, like, real to themselves. But then when they're in our group talking about something they're passionate about, like reptiles, it's like, it's just, <laughs> it's just water spilling over out of the cup. If you so one of my I guess I would have a couple pieces of advice, you know, to get people to dip their toe in is just try to connect with one person. It doesn't have to be anybody famous, it doesn't have to be anybody big in the hobby. Just connect with one person. You guys can really buddy up and talk reptiles. So you guys can kind of grow together. And I would say, and I know that people don't like doing this, but do it to, to like be with somebody that you can physically be in contact with, like that you can go to lunch together or to be face to face. When you're in that situation, just the psychology about it, it's it breaks down so many more barriers and it makes you more comfortable. Um, and you know, Ryan's counterintuitive. It is it is counterintuitive, but once you build that bond, it's easier to connect with other small groups and then become bigger groups. Now, me, I you know, I don't have any problem talking in front of thousands of people. Like it just happens for me, so I can do it. But um, the more you get into it, when we first started, Ryan's like. I don't like people. I don't want to talk to people. I look at them. I'm a little reclusive. I like to say to myself, but you know, once you get around people that love the same thing that you love and you're like, you have all that like passion bottled up in you because you haven't been able to talk to anybody about what you're into because it's so weird, like reptiles, like it, it just like starts spewing out and you're like, holy crap, this is really easy. Yeah. So just flash my number there and say, you know, call Ben and he'll give you advice. Eight five six. 
649-3149. Anytime there, night. <laughs> I feel like that's his actual number. That is, it is, that is, it is 100% his number. He, oh, you guys can play that back. He gives it out to everybody. Um, <laughs> grabbing it. I can't say that I really like that everybody has my number, but it's not like a big deal to me. But you get like real random phone calls. See? It's the real number. Higher. Higher. Um, What's the uh, QR code? Where does it go? Does it go to your website or something? YouTube. To our YouTube. Oh, I just made those. I just remade business cards. Hey, do you guys want some business cards that I didn't like? <laughs> so I ordered like 500, and when I got them, I was like, oh, these don't look the way that I wanted them to. <laughs> so we went to the Oaks Reptile Show. I went to the Oaks Reptile Show on uh, this past Saturday, and I'm just like tossing them on tables, you know, like just giving out the old cards. I feel like we we missed. That's the only Oaks that we haven't vended in like a year and a half. Really, and everyone that we know went to this one. It it was uh it was good. It was decent. We videoed it. Um, that video will come out in a little while. But you videoed it. I videoed it. Ryan stayed home. I was busy taking care of the collection that day. But... Ah, excuses. <laughs> I brought so... my Nancy with me, so she filmed. So everything is. She's not terribly tall. So everything's like from a lower point of view, but she did a good job still. So, I mean, both of you guys have significant others. Uh, how oh. do they feel about it? And beards as oh. well. We do have beards. <laughs> <laughs> that happen to be our significant others. Um, <laughs> cut that. All right. So, right? What are we doing? So, um, significant others. Yeah. So, Ryan's wife, you know, you want to talk about her and I'll talk about my girlfriend instead of vice versa? Sure. <laughs> All right. So I had uh, I had a pet snake when I met my wife. So it was part of the deal. She married me and now I have 200. <laughs> she, doesn't like, she doesn't like almost any of the insects, though. She's really against them. Yeah, she is not happy about the tarantulas. Yeah. But she's coming around. I almost bought somebody at Oaks had a uh, coconut crab. Almost oh, bought it. Goodness. That would have been so cool to bring. Massive coconut crab. I wish you'd have bought it. So, I would have gave you the money back. This is amazing. What were they like eight dollars or how much is a coconut crab? Five hundred. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. What? I need to look this up. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no. What about the coconut crab? Massive hermit crabs that are size of like a. a so they're volleyball. like two and a half feet long. They climb coconut trees. And pull coconuts off. They they're an arboreal crab. They're from Indo, right? Huh? Are they from Indo? Um, probably. I'm not positive. I also thought I saw a Dan Maleri video where they found some coconut crabs. But they'll like lay on their back and take in a coconut in their leg and smash it on. Yeah, look at that one on the trash can. Is that <laughs> real? That's it is not real. totally real. So, is, how do you keep it? It's just like a hermit crab, oddly enough. I would have figured it, it out. <laughs> Wait, you know what they eat? Coconut. So you get like That's well, not there's one eating a large bird. Yeah. Yeah. They will they're scavengers. They'll eat shrimp and fish and stuff like that. Apparently, family pet. They will snap your that's a weird one. They'll snap <laughs> your finger out though. So they're like they're they have a really strong claw, so you gotta be careful. And they're not like terribly nice. Um, I've never seen one for sale before. It was the first time ever. I was like, you didn't buy it. You should have bought it. It was a small one. Like it was a, probably about um, uh, like a half a foot 
long or so, you know, maybe almost a foot. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. And the guy's like, yeah, it gets, you know, two and a half, three feet long. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know, but I don't even know where we would keep it. He's like, it just has to be humid like a hermit crab. And you feed it coconut shaving. I'm like, wow, you're really trying to sell this one. But <laughs> there are no, you're not going to want that. Look at think think about what Ryan would say if I brought that home, you know, like, that's hey amazing. man, I need to build an eight foot by eight foot enclosure for this coconut crab that's gonna climb your trees. Done. <laughs> it's like one of those things you're like, um, this would be a funny joke for like a minute. Yeah, and then <laughs> what do you do with it? Right. You eat it, obviously. Oh. No. <laughs> be your most expensive meal you've ever eaten, five hundred dollars. I'm a pretty big guy. I don't know. <laughs> it would be uh, spend some money on too. It would be it would be pretty expensive. I would agree. It wouldn't be like uh, we can keep name dropping. It's Robin a- Markland, let's go do some sushi. He has an uh, expensive sushi taste. He's the guy that. Um, uh, what's his new? It's he has a new company. By the way, I wouldn't need it. It'd be my best friend. Like that crabs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand. I got it. Robin Marklin used to own Pro Exotics. Do you guys remember them? So uh, I'm sure I've never heard of Pro Exotics. Yeah. And then uh, he was uh, involved with um, Ship Your Reptiles, and now he's starting a new company, actually. And I don't know if he released it to the public yet, so I won't say. But um, so, yeah, look, keep looking out for him. But he's a really cool guy, and he eats really awesome food. I'm I don't know how I started talking to him. But I don't know how we started talking about him. I can call him right now too. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. An opportunity to give him some free advertising. Yeah. Is it reptile company? Yes. It will be in sorts, I believe. And that's someone, I mean, back in the day, pro exotics used to crank out some old world, uh, rat snake. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think most of the ones in the hobby were established by them, weren't they? Didn't they bring in most of the imports at the time? Uh, from my understanding, I mean, and and also I think they didn't have, uh, I don't think they cared if they crossed them. Yes, they were doing some experiments. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think like their methodology was like hybrid vigor and they have, so like it's hard to kind of find something that you can, you can say is pure. Or, uh, yeah. you know, one, one of the reasons we got ours from Matthew Moses because he has locality data on most of the ones that he has. So he knows exactly where they came from in the wild when he imported them. So that's was really important to us because we wanted to make sure that we had a really pure bloodline and knew exactly what we we're dealing with. Not that there's anything wrong with crossing them. I mean, they, re- they make really cool things like the vanishing patterns and all this other stuff. But um I think a good place to start is keeping, especially when you have rare species like that, you want to make sure that you keep lineage documentation of at least a portion of the population. And I mean, to the degree that you know of, I suppose. And I mean, it's hard to to know for sure, especially, um, I mean, I didn't even know that there were so many different localities like Mandarin rat snakes mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. There's a lot. There's a crazy world because he can rattle off this crap like off the top of his head <laughs> oh, absolutely oh wait yeah. I, was switching. Yeah. I was switching i was switching the skinks 
Oh, skanks. <clears throat> That's like your least favorite anime. I know, but what? someone in the chat has brought something up I know. that I want to talk least about. Least favorite? Oh, wait, we don't see the chat. Oh. Live we comments. Just... Come on, click the tab. Where are you at? Oh, you... my goodness. We haven't been talking at all of them. No, I'm no, I mean, guys. for most guests, it's really hard for them to read the chat and talk to us so it's actually probably better that you didn't game on game on <laughs> joe doesn't even do it i game like, on more hi how's it going <laughs> if you see me leaning over like it's mainly because i've been answering the chat but and usually they're not even talking about what we're talking about yeah, they're like talking amongst else. themselves anyway i'm too here's what i'm talking about walking a crab on a leash My yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so what kind of skinks are you guys working with so we have uh Northern blue tongues, so they are Australian skinks. We don't have any Indonesian skinks, so only Australians. Uh, so northern, and most of those are lime bred. There's not a lot of uh, genetically passed on traits in northerns other than polymorphism. Um, so you can get different variations in color with it, which we're trying to work with, but it's not like a normal you know, recessive or co-dominant trait. And then we also do Eastern blue tongues, and uh, we do have a morph of that, which is a uh, hypermelanistic. There's not a lot of those in the United States. Very They're really yeah. cool. Yeah. Jet black. Uh, some of them have like a red or orange fire belly on them. And uh, we're trying to breed those out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mainly. Trying to get alcohol belly. What's that? Did you say you could try to breed out the the fire belly? No, we're trying to breed them. Period. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I thought you said you were trying to breed it out of them. No, no, no I think it's awesome. Yeah, they're, no, they're it's they're a great animal. It's just uh, Easterns are tricky to breed sometimes, and uh, especially the morphs here in the United States. Yeah, uh, Easterns, you have to get cooled down really cold, like scary cold for reptiles. So when you're talking about dropping a skink down to like the high 40s, like – it's a very uncomfortable thing. Yeah, especially when you're keeping ball pythons, you're like, oh, 92 hotspot all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's temperature drop a little bit, but you're like, oh, yeah, you know. And they're like, oh, we're going to keep them at 80 or 90 degrees, these skinks. And then we're going to drop them to 45. Like, what? A big change. We're in uh, South Jersey, close to Atlantic City. And yes, game on, Aaron. Um. <laughs> Already, people who have skinks or have Aaron tongues. Oh, call has been thrown. Oh, my man. majority of people who work with skinks have blue tongues. I mean, have, I have uh, Indo animals. Have or, northern blue tongues. I feel like I hear. Or what's the most common skink that people work with? Why are you asking me? I don't know. They were talking. Most people have Indonesian skinks because they're still uh, imported from Indonesia. Because Australia has banned import since the seventies import and export of all animals so they're pretty rare compared to indonesian stuff that can come in wild caught or captive born or not captive born captive hatched you know but uh i think uh i don't think very many people are actually producing indonesian skinks right now they have really weird requirements for humidity and stuff and they haven't really dialed it in that well yeah people do produce them but not not at the level that they should and if at all they are a tricky, also a tricky skink to, to reproduce. Northerns are easier. Um, but there's a bunch of other skinks that people that people breed and I, that we think are really cool as well, you know. 
like ping tongs and agernia and you know there's a bunch of different i mean you can go deep in into skinks um and there's a a handful of australian stuff that's out there that that have trouble breeding a bit as well because you know obviously over here but um people are really making efforts lately um who was i just talking to the other day oh ryan's gonna go get one i guess or I don't know what he's doing. He's going to do whatever he's going to do. He's going to take a pee, but we can go with go get one. No, he's not actually going to pee. <laughs> I don't know where he went. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, uh, Randy Mopa, uh, Mobia, he, he has westerns and shinglebacks and northerns and easterns. And um, very few people are working with westerns and um, – the Australian species. And those are like, the, there's a guy down in Florida that produced a bunch and he sold um, his collection out because he wanted to do something different. And he's like OG at it. And he was, he, we talked to him about it. He goes, we just put them in a container and put them in the refrigerator for, to put them in brumation. And it's like, yeah. so they're getting down into the thirties, the high twenties, low thirties for Westerns. And it's just, I can't, I can't put, you know, a, a $8,000, $6,000 skink or animal in the refrigerator. Like I just, yeah. seems yeah. Crazy. Yeah. so yeah, this is our, uh, this is a full melanistic or hyper melanistic, uh, Eastern blue tongue skink. How old is that? Uh, two and a half, two, a little over two years. Something about How long years. does it take for them to get the sexual maturity? Eight months. Yeah, they can do it in like eight, 10 months, but, um, a lot of people say it's better to wait like a year or two. Even wow. females? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We can. Yeah, in the wild, they will produce in eight months. Yeah. yeah so we have... Why is it so hard to reproduce in captivity? I think uh, there's not a ton of information about it outside of Australia. So people are kind of guessing and they don't want to get them as cold as they need to get to, or they got the humidity a little off. Or... There's a really short window to introduce your males into the females, and then the males will shut down. So uh, there's a whole lot of things that the Australians have had a lot of time to figure out, and we're just sort of figuring out right now. Yeah, it's and the environment's tough to really mimic. I think that we try to like if if the environment's supposed to be like, all right, it needs to go like up and down, and there's like periods where there's flux and stuff like that. We try to make things like a box, you know, like we're like, all right, we're going to go into permission and then we're going to stay here and then we're going to come out and this is where we're going to do. And we try to make it real systematic and things like that. And I think that um, when you watch the temperatures in Australia, where these guys are from and, you know, looking at what they actually do, we don't mimic them in the United States as well as, uh, you know, they do in nature. And I think it's tough and we're trying to learn that. Um, you know, we're trying to different, do different things like introduce them earlier or um, don't feed them before you introduce them or uh, just like all different sorts of weird things that you're just trying to figure out where is in Australia, they're just putting them in a big pit and they're leaving them outside with an enclosure so that if it gets too cold, they can go in there. If it gets too warm, they can come out and that's it. <laughs> it's like they live there, you know, so it's it's hard for us to do that. And honestly, in the United States, there's not a lot of Easterns. So like the, the percentage of people here that are experimenting with this whole thing is really low. Like 
we're pretty new into the skink game period. Um, we've been doing Northerns for about five years, Easterns for four or three years, something yeah. like that. And we like last year we produced the most Easterns in the United States. Wow. Like, you know, if on the scale of skink breeders in the United States, we're nobodies. And we got and <laughs> really how rare they are. It's know? really we got lucky. Like it's not like we did get lucky. I'm not trying to say it's anything like good about us. I'm just saying like it's that, tough to do. Yeah. You're talking about percentages, there's no way such a small time breeder like us would be able to produce more than anybody else in the United States. And we and that's, that's a, how little that's a possibility here. that we did that. I'm not we're not 100 percent sure, but from everybody that we talked to, we're we pretty plugged into the people that have them in the United States. So. But, I mean, such, there are a lot of people that are on the slide though, but it's yeah. such an interesting animal. Like, I'm yeah. sorry, he's now you're starting to like them? No. Um oh come on. No. She it looks like a I don't think Australia will ever lift the band. It so. looks like a breathing tire. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you should look up land mullets. Yeah, land mullets. Look up land mullets. So those came to the United States a couple times, but they didn't they didn't breed well as well. It's also a large black Australian skink. Um super, super, super cool. But if you want to see a funny looking can you okay? This is gonna sound dumb, and I'm sure that, but like, <laughs> what do they look like? Fat? Can they get fat? I'm assuming they're, they can. they're pretty fat. They're so they're they're bigger than this guy here. <laughs> they're just so yeah, cool. it's like a giant hypermelanistic skink. Yeah, because yours is so slender. Well, I mean, Easterns are on the smaller side of Australian skinks, so like our Northerns are really big. That one's full just about full grown i mean they might get a little bit bigger but it's an adult and it's healthy and it's eating you know so it does look a bit slender but compared to a land mullet <laughs> right right the land mullets were thick but yeah, yeah it's that's such an interesting there, erica there are people that sell them in in uh canada by the way northern gecko has is breeding them but don patterson is like a, a big skink guy in uh in canada should so i be Mentioning the, should I skip mentioning those things or should I just be typing? Yeah. It's up to you. It's up to you. So are some of their bellies like super red? Because that one was kind of like muted. Are some of them super red or? They can be. So that, um, there are different variations. That one is, uh, it kind of gets a little bit more red than that, but that's about what it's at. Um, there's northerns that are really red and uh, there's just different variations. Do you like the red belly? I like any red. Are the are the Easterns the ones that um, they can be differentiated by like that stripe through the eye um, on the wild type? So um, there are there are uh, eye banded. They're called the Easterns. Some of them. Um, so yeah, kind of the locality of where they're from. Uh, you can they can have eye bands, but also there's some Easterns that don't have eye bands, and um, depending on where they're from. But yeah, that's that's one way. Uh, that you can tell an Eastern over a Northern or anything. The Westerns have eye bands too, really. Yeah, it's really a color variation. Yeah, and the shape of the animal a little bit too. Um, Game, Game of, of Morphs. Morphs. Oh, Jinx. Right. You owe me a soda. Thanks. Uh, good <laughs> reference. Oh, thoughts on getting the <laughs> Peter's Bandit breeding in captivity. Peter's Bandit. No idea. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I'm, we haven't heard of them being unlocked yet on that. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's, it, it'll come down to food and environment, really. Yeah, I mean, the only variables there possibly could be is what it's going to come down to. So just try all of them. <laughs> it's tough. Um, there are websites that you can track the day by day um, temperatures and, and weather in, you know, the areas where they're from. And uh, actually, I was thinking about it, you know, seeing if we can vary, make a variation of what the temperatures are that we have. And if it's cloudy that day, things like that. I just, it's, it's a difficult thing to do, but I think it, it could be done maybe. But you also have to think okay. of think of microclimates. I mean, like just because yeah. the weather is that doesn't mean that in the leaf litter, you know, they're seeing the same right. the same changes going on. Right. So we're gonna what we're gonna do is we're gonna put a weather station with probes at each level of the microhabitat in Australia where they're at. <laughs> now you're thinking. We're gonna plug it into our Arduino. We're gonna have it take that information and put it into our herb stats so it can control the humidity and temperature and day daylight cycle. It's, it's real easy. Yeah. It's so simple. Why isn't everyone doing it? I know, really. A little effort, guys. Come on. Can we talk a little bit about the uh, like the racks behind you, the, the stuff that you've built for the skinks? Absolutely. <laughs> so if you're handy, it's a good deal. If you're not, buy it. Because we took a long time to make them, but it turned out. So yeah. We started this project in the eight summer. months ago. <laughs> this is really bad. We're trying to do it like between doing YouTube, taking care of our animals, which is going on trips, gotten a lot, going on trips, working, family life. We thought, hey, we can knock it out in a couple weeks. It took eight months, but and they're not painted. I thought they were going to be painted white. <laughs> but, we started to do that, and then we realized, you know, painting um, 35 bins and seven racks and stuff, you're like, it's kind of a lot. And you couldn't do it with, like, rollers or anything. You have to do it with spraying, and it's it's a lot, <laughs> but all that aside, we were keeping our skinks in regular rack systems like you would keep a ball python in because they can do well in like a mm -hmm. CB70 or smaller if they're, you know, babies, as long as you're supplementing them because they're not getting UVB. So you're making sure they're getting vitamins and calcium and a really varied diet. Um, but we wanted to take it up, take our care up a notch and offer them UVB basking and, um, you know, we couldn't do that in our rack systems. So in that rack system, in that and yeah, well, in any, any any rack system that I know that's commercially available. So yeah, we kind of took this idea from we first saw it from Ty Park and also um, uh, what's the guy from Reptile Mountain, TC Houston <laughs> from the Ground Up alum. Yeah. It was on my tip of my tongue. <laughs> it's like they're all TC. We got to catch up with him, by the way. Yeah. Um, but they have this style rack, a little bit different than what we went with. We made some adjustments because we wanted belly heat instead of we need to maximize our space. Like we were talking about before, like, you know, there's, you know, the the basking lamps is great, but I can fit more animals in with a, a less of a heat signature if I don't have heat bulbs in there. So I wanted belly heat so we could do five high instead of three high or four high. Um, plus those bulbs burn out constantly. So that would be another expense that I didn't think was necessary. We didn't think it was necessary. We didn't. I helped plan it. <laughs> he helped. There's a whole video on him sketching it out. It's really funny. 
Um, True. So that, that was the goal. I wanted to be able to have UVB and Iraq for the skinks. I wanted to also be able to offer them two to three inches of substrate because they love to burrow if they have the opportunity. So it had to be a deep tub, and those tubs are nine and a half inches deep as composed of like the the ones you would use, like the big cement tubs are more like six and a half inches, which would keep the animal about three inches away from the basking light, which is not good. They needed more space, so that's what we went with. Those are from Ace Hardware. Check them out. Uh, Took me a long time to find those tubs. I'm serious. Like, if you're looking for this solution, Ace Hardware, that's where they're at. Um, and are they grooved on the inside as they are on the outside? They are, and I don't like that, but the... I think it's because the tub is so big that it needs that rigidity in it or it will flex and bend. And mm -hmm. so, unfortunately, yes, there are ridges. But it comes with the territory pretty much. Yeah, I couldn't find anything else unless I wanted to spend like 60 bucks a tub, which was outside of the budget. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of crazy. Um, Ryan asked, now do they do moisture cycles for their skinks like a rainy dry season? We do incorporate that, but it's not like a I, cycle well i mean i guess it would be as random as it is in nature like you know we go in there and like a couple times a month we'll mist it down like really really miss it down we do miss it down weekly but not like a full like drench and so we'll do the drench like a couple times a month when we say drench there's no <laughs> standing, like there's no standing water yeah, yeah so not like a drench. don't get crazy but it was just a little heavier than you, you normally would. Then you yeah. let the substrate dry completely out, like it went through a rain cycle. and Right. But it, that's not really regimented. That's just like, eh, it looks a little dry in there. It's been a while. Sure, let's throw some water in there. Yeah. We do, on a regular basis, check to make sure there's enough humidity. And especially with the rack systems that we have, you know, there's a lot of um, ventilation. So the substrate can dry out kind of quickly. So if it seems a little too dry, then we missed it down. Which ends up in the summertime, we, you know, we end up doing it and even in, so there's tricks about the winter, but in the summertime, we, we make sure it's a couple times a week, probably to give it a little mist, not yeah, a lot. We keep them at like 40, 45% humidity normally, and then it'll bump up to like 65 when we do the quote soak down. Yeah. So it's not crazy, but it's enough to let them know that, Hey, something's going on with the weather. Um, we're not typing stuff, should we? I see you guys answering. No, no, no. Uh, we're we're gonna kind of switch switch directions here, just because uh, Dennis Griffey asked in the chat, right. um, "What is everyone's opinion of what they would pair with a yellow belly pied female in order to jumpstart a breeding program?" Bum, bum, bum. The question is, what's the goal? Yeah, what, what are you looking to do? Um, there's a lot of different ways you can go about it. How how about this? How much money do you have to spend on the, <laughs> the most expensive pod? Yeah. Um, if you're breeding the cell, I got options. If you're breeding the keep, I got options. <laughs> there's, it depends on the goal. So I, I'm going to take words out of Ryan's mouth. Probably something with lavender in it is like, that's a, that's a good start. I would do something different. No, go ahead. <laughs> do something different. <laughs> Um, I like, there's some rare stuff out there, um, that rare genes. So if you see things that are like something cool that you, you want to, you want to incorporate, but you, it really depends on what your, um, your budget is, because if you're looking to get a het pied, something to keep the pied, the visual pieds coming out, or even a visual pied, you know, you're, you start costing a lot more money. And, um, I think in Jumoma and Yellow Belly work really well together. 
I think that'd be a fun project, you know, for a codon that's not real expensive. So, okay, the follow-up here. This is the same guy, right? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I wasn't reading down below until now. <laughs> so if you're starting a small business, then you have several considerations you want to take. I would say you put one of your three pairs into something that you can sell to pay the bills because you got to have your time is worth money. The rats you're feeding off are worth money. The electricity you're running is worth money. So you want to pay the bills. Let's aim at something like that because not everybody's able or wanting to go into like a $3,000 animal, right? So you got to have tiers. So I would probably tier it out. If you're doing three pairs, one low end, do pied to pied or pied to a yellow belly pied like you said. Then you would go something mid-level because you want to reach two different spaces in the market. And then something but, that you're super interested in that might be your high-end option or maybe your your what you're interested in is in the middle but like yeah so in the middle sort of a perfect ratio right there you've got three different tiers of the hobby that you can hit and you have you're, obviously it's easier to move a 500 animal than it is a 5000 dollars animal that's gonna you know you so your mid, all day your mid-level one you would get like a head pied with a couple of codoms i would suggest something cool like you know chocolate Black pastel, something like that would be fun with yellow belly pied. So a head pied. Okay, so I like that stuff. I think it's fun. Um, yeah, OD Dreamsicles is, you know, now. So now you're starting to talk like if you want to get into a, a higher end. Something. Those are high end pairings and they're awesome. Yes. It takes a little longer to move those. Yeah. Just a warning. But, but also, it's also more investment up front, too. If that's If that's what you're passionate about, you're not going to mind going in there every day and cleaning that animal and feeding that animal and taking care of that animal. So Orange Dream Dreamsicles is uh, something Ryan loves. We're, we're going to be producing Dreamsicles this year, hopefully. Um, that's the hope. That's the hope. And so, like, it's a really great, you know, combination. Highways are fun. Freeways are are. And that's an albino pied for the uninitiated, right? Or like lavender albino pied or something albino like that? Pied, yep. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Lavender I albino it. pied. I forgot. It's not a <laughs> all python world is here. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to make sure. But um, yeah, I mean, there there's so many different things things to work with. And I think that's, that's interesting what you said is that like I, I think people go high dollar right off the bat, but you were saying like that might be harder to move or harder to sell. So especially starting a small business like you don't have the, uh, your name out there yet so like maybe you i have a i'm saying i but like let's say like take the one of the top prizes like justin kabaka has a, a dream sickle for sale and you have a dream sickle for sale who's going to sell it first you know what i mean so like you got to take that in consideration because it takes a long time to get name recognition and get out there because you got to build trust with people because it's a lot of money we're talking about here yeah and, <laughs> and also like think about um uh, think about like trying to sell hats. Like a lot of times, people when they're first starting off, you can't add money for a hat. Like you right. can say, "Oh, the hat pie." Nobody wants to buy a hat pie from me because they don't know who you are. You don't have any way to you know, like anybody to trust that you have a hat pie. You know, so but you can document it very well, so that yes, you can, you can what you're doing. But but it's still difficult. So you got to keep that in consideration. You know, um, especially if it's your first one. Going a visual pie to a visual pie, you you got. You know, that's much better to do than having hats or possible hats. And so it's all about your individual situation. How yeah. if you're fine with sitting on animals for six months and you can take care of that, then go for it. If you can't take that in consideration, you know, it's very variable depending on your personal situation. Uh, but always go after what you're super interested in, because 
there's a lot of long hours and days of shoveling poop. And you got <laughs> it's got to be worth it. So. <laughs> yeah, not to mention you know females throwing slugs, incubation. Uh, the nicest animal you produce has a kink in it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> all the things. it's not all roses for sure. No, nah, but yeah. then again, I mean, I mean, we do it, we do it just for the hell of it. I mean, it's, I've gained and we've all gained a lot from just breeding snakes, such a seeming, a seemingly dumb pursuit that we all uh, are together in doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We'd be making a ton of money if we'd stop buying animals. Yeah. We uh know your numbers. You're you're talking about that earlier. So we spent a little bit more than double what we brought in last year. And it was the most revenue we brought in in a year so far. So full disclosure. Full disclosure. <laughs> we we spent a lot. That's how it goes. It all depends on your situation. If you know. If you're building for something that you think is going to be good, you know. If you get really excited and you start just buying things because you were, you know, maybe had a little to drink or something and it just happens. Shots fired, man. So have you regretted a decision that you've made in that context? Like, Oh, heck yeah. I've never had peak compliance all the time. I've I've regretted, not regretted buying generally, to be honest. I've regretted um, selling a couple of things that that we shouldn't have. We... So, you know, there's a story that, that I can tell you real quick, but there was a time where, you know, there's an up and down with reptile breeding, right? So you have, oh, we're having babies, we're selling babies, and then there's a long stretch when you're not, um, or that things aren't happening and you kind of are just in the weeds. And uh, and you start getting like, oh, man, what are we doing? Like, and you're just, but you got to keep paying the bills. And so I said, you know, we should really cut down on the ball python. And this was me. It's, it's my fault, really. But I said that we should cut down on the ball python uh, collection that we have and focus on, you know, a bunch of diversity and lower the amount of animals that we have total. So we just said, all right, we're going to pick these projects. We're real strict about it. And we sold off everything else. And sold then off about half of the collection. Half of yeah. the ball python collection, yeah. And I really regret it now because there's stuff that we had that we sold for real cheap or or that we just, you know, we're like, hey, we just want to cut a line in the sand, kind of. And now we're kind of rebuying certain genes, and we're like going after certain projects that we used to have that we don't anymore, and we miss it. And it you know, if we would have done that, we would have been a year or more ahead of where we are. We'd be two or okay. Let's just, ahead. you know, I mean, you don't have to make me feel bad. I mean, it's fine. We all make mistakes. <laughs> but yeah, so th- there are regrets. What about you guys? Yeah, I think I think that's a big one, though, like especially you get to growing up an animal and you can be like so close to producing and then you sell them for some reason. And, uh, so selling thousand gram female ball pythons is a huge mistake. After, you, know, you raise them up for, you know, 16, 18 months and they're like, oh, hey, everybody, all my hard work. Why don't you just buy it from me for a deal? Like, yeah, that's terrible. How about we talked a lot about our shortcomings? Thanks a lot. What about you guys? We had we've had an entire species that we got into, and we got into like rather quick, rather hot. That was what I was gonna say. It's not like understanding myself and knowing like, do I really like this thing, and do I actually want to work with it and breed it? Um, And I'll convince myself that I want to work with it and breed it, but turns out I just like it. 
And I have to work with it and breed it, by the way. There's no <laughs> you in that. I don't know anything about that. Yeah, this is the uh, Australian water pythons this knucklehead wants to buy from you guys. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be from you guys because if you guys aren't breeding, you know. Like, yeah, we're not breeding those. But they're so nice. I actually also lives in Philly who's me now messaging me from that video <laughs> talking about <laughs> how it, he has he has a female that he's pretty sure is gravid. And I'm like, oh, you know. Uh, what's his name? <laughs> what? Was that a... I was going to say, I don't think Eric bred him this year. No, Vincent. no, no. This guy, Vincent. I don't know his last name. Oh, I don't know Vincent. No, there's how a... do I not know someone who, who lives is... in Philly with a water python? No, who was that carpet fest? Who does waters? Yeah, that's so indescript. He's tall. <laughs> okay, not He's helpful. He's tall. I, I have his last name, but I, I'll tell you after. Isn't there like five people who even work with waters? I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's... Okay, so list the five. He has to be one of them. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know. I'm not that one. He lives worried. in Philly. And he actually lives close to you. That's quite odd. Okay. He, he works with a bunch of. He works with ball pythons more so, but he did. He just mentioned. Oh, by the way, I also have Australians or pop or. Uh, I think they're Australian. I think they're Australians, from what he said. But I, you know, obviously, I'm gonna. Ben's no expert, so don't. I'm no the same. I mean, I just want them so that you know, like when they get a little bit bigger, Ben's like, like Ryan, they look really cool. I'm like, yeah, well, they're going to bite the crap out of them. Like, yeah, but they stay at your house, so it's not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, ours jumped. actually just scared me she when I came back in the room. By. I was walked by, and ours has no fear hitting its head at the side yeah. of the tank, and it scared me because it was behind me. I wasn't expecting yeah, it. Yeah, she strikes it, the side of it. She the... strikes all. Like, she's going to hurt herself one day. That's great. But she doesn't bite when you pick her up. She just strikes the t I don't know. That happens. They're real easy, right? Like you're gonna buy the house soon, so it's fun. <laughs> but I feel like we never got to the point. We were talking about the cow kings. Oh, right? so yeah. Never... So I got really into cow kings, and it's like it wasn't like I was into it for a week and we bought it. I really was into it for a yeah. very, very and long beautiful. time. And Absolutely. I just they were beautiful. I was really into just like, you know, regular striped ones and everything like that. Um, but then we got them. And I'm just not into something that's going to randomly bite me They're just for dummies. no reason. <laughs> well, just for no reason. Like, and when they bite you, they don't let go. Yeah. They're just like hanging out. It's not a terrible bite, but yeah. Gotta run no, away. yeah. But it's, like, go, yeah. <laughs> it's hard when you open a tub. Kind of them. Yeah. I think we also just happen to get a lot of psychos. Like there was a lot of them that were just like constantly moving in their enclosure and like, you know, always... and like biting themselves yeah. when you, when mm -hmm. you pull open a tub, they just start biting everything. There is a learning curve with them. Like we were vending with one of our friends and we didn't have any experience with them before. And somebody, I don't think it was us, but somebody that was vending there accidentally put two of them together in the same uh, bin yeah. or whatever their display section. And they started oh. hitting each other. I was like, Oh crap. <laughs> I didn't know that was going to happen. Yep. Stop well, yeah, we've had uh, when we were breeding the whole Brook Guy or the Florida Kings. Yeah. And uh, I think it maybe even when we were breeding Cow Kings, they've all tried to eat each other. Eat each other, eat themselves. So it's just like now I'm like, okay, I like the Brooks. They're much calmer. They're not really. She just doesn't work with them. <laughs> Babe. I've been bit like kings are crazy. Brooks. My brooks, when you open and you feed them, they jump out of the tubs. 
They seem so much fun. And they wrap the like, things. like if you give them a mouse, they wrap every inch of their body around every inch yeah. of the mouse. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah, they're not calm. I wouldn't give people a false uh, sense. Of and now I kind of did it again with the going eye. They're psycho. Or oh. it's psycho. Oh, yeah. So well, I've loved, they're basically Florida King. I've loved going eyes for, what, two years now? And I've, like, wouldn't let us buy one until I got exactly what I wanted. And we found it. And he bought it and surprised me with it. And I held it once <laughs> since we got it. I think Ben may have held it. I don't remember. I don't know. Ben's the worst. If he bites a lot, Ben then hold it. Well, he got bit by an eastern black kink snake, which I haven't seen happen before. I don't. I, I was telling you guys when I was there. I don't mind getting bit. It's just I'm real flinchy about it for some odd reason. Lizards and stuff like that. I'm not flinchy at all. But snakes, for some reason, I get flinchy. And I've been working. We've been working them for a while. I don't know. I just get a little flinchy. But I'm trying really hard to, you know, like I'll disclose it to you and your friends right now. But um, when I'm on camera, I'm like, oh, you just gotta let it happen. And I, I've been really good at the Oak Show. One of my friends had a, uh, a Burmese python, a, a young one. And it was all hissy, and I reached in. It was in a tank, and I reached in, and I grabbed it. It's a uh, an albino pied berm. Beautiful animal, right? So I pick it up, and it's, like, trying to bite me. And I'm like, oh, no, this is really cool. And it, like, strikes me in the chest, and I'm just like, nothing. No problems. You know, like, I'm really trying hard. Really trying hard. But well, he jumps on a pygmy python and bites me. <laughs> <laughs> they're like this big, man. <laughs> They're real, they're big. Yeah, you want to grab a picture? It's, it's more fun when we bring animals on. Yeah, go for it. How yeah, many yeah. um how many pygmies do you have? So we have four adults and uh two babies right now. The the babies are really hard to, to get eating. They eat baby knobtail geckos in wild, and knobtail geckos aren't cheap. So you can't really like you can't feed them what they naturally get. So you have to I'm talking like babies are like this long and like the the inside of a pen, like the the ink part of the shaft of the pen, that's how thin they are. And you got to force feed them like mouse legs. Nope. <laughs> like, and that's probably four inches for people on the audio who can't see. Look, I don't know. I, you know, like it's, it could be like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's hard to say how <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, they're really small. And so a, l- a lot of times they, you know, we had a bunch or we had uh, four last year, four babies, and they all ended up not making it because of it's hard just to get them started. Um, once they get going, they're a great animal. That's actually a large one. This is an adult. So this is an adult male. An adult male, yeah. And this is the baby. And that baby is... Eight months old? Yeah, eight months old. Oh, wow. So, and has he taken meals on his own? These guys have just started taking meals on their own. Yeah, after eight months of, of uh, force feeding. These are the smallest pythons in the world. Um, super awesome. When they have a clutch, it's like a tiny little group of eggs that fit in your hand. Um, they're just really, really cool animals. And the lighting is not great in here, so you're not seeing like they – get kind of reddish and pink. They're uh, pretty cool animals. Australian species. But uh, as uh, in the wild, they're obligate gecko feeders. Yeah, I was saying knobtails. Oh, you, you told them already? <laughs> Sorry, I was in the other room. <laughs> so getting them switched over could be challenging, but once they do, 
this thing is like a garbage disposal. Like, yeah, it, it will never stop eating. It it's seriously it's the craziest thing. Like they will attack your tongs for a python to attack your tongs like in the bin. It's just it's nutty. But you know, once you get them out, they're fine. You know, just like anything else. But um, the the babies are just so hard to get going, and it's just crazy that it's a switch happens and then all of a sudden they're just going. So they're hard to find. And uh, Justin Julander is like the guy in the United States. Um, he wrote a book and he's writing, actually, I don't know if he uh, published his next book, but he's writing another book about him. And um, they're really awesome animals and fun. But uh, again, it's if you're having an adult, it's a good pet. Like, it's great. They're fine. Always get established feeders if you do find them. Don't buy them as babies because they're going to yeah. be hard for you. Yeah, you don't buy babies. So, And most people don't sell babies. Like, we have people ask us all the time for them. And we had we produced five this year, and three of them didn't make it over the time. And, I mean, it just sometimes things happen. I don't know if it's that they take a, you know, a food funny and it, it gets caught or it's hard to say, you know, but – they also have a really high metabolism, so you're going to want to force feed them like twice a week or every three days, which is tough on a digestive system. system. Um, I'm going to go put these away because I can't talk. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, their metabolism is, is higher than, than uh, what other pythons are. You wouldn't think it, but um, it was one of the mistakes that we made. So we have friends in Australia, and, you know, we talk to all the time. We're like, hey, so how do you do this? And what are you guys doing with these and whatever? The uh, guy, um, Peter Birch, who wrote uh, the book, he co-authored it with Justin Julander. He, we're, we're talking to him about these Australians, you know, pythons. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, you got to do this and that and whatever. And none of our babies made it last year. And so this year going into it, we're like, hey, you know, like this is what we're doing. This is the temperatures, this is the humidities. And he goes, oh, you should probably feed them more. And we're like, what do you mean? We're like, we waited for a little while just offering to see if they take it on their own. And then we started force feeding once a week, once every like week and a half. And because force feeding's rough, you know? And he goes, no, 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 you should be feeding them like two or three times a week. And we're like, what? <laughs> like from the start, like before they shed. So it's tough. It's a tough species to really get started. It's tough to, to do with, but um great and rewarding animal though that's a passion project as a, as an adult they're great they are so for stuff like that or like <clears throat> your animals that require like a lot of extra time how do you guys kind of divvy up the responsibility are you just like together all night every night like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. we're not together there's no divvying up <laughs> anything um gay jokes aside that's so i come over you know, once or twice a week, and I help out sometimes. Some a lot of times, though, we're doing videos. You do a um, great job. And I am the guy that does all the business, not every piece of business of it, but I do a lot of the business and that helps out videos. whenever I ask him to help. But mostly, I just take care of it. He takes care of the animals. I take care of the business stuff. He does some of the social media. I do some of the social media, but I do all the video editing and. Buying of stickers. And the whole thing is <laughs> with stuff like that, we don't want to mass produce that because obviously to be able to maintain the level of care that they need to get them started would be very difficult for me to manage with. I mean, we've got close to 200 animals here. So um, 
We only have two pairs of adults, and I don't think we plan on keeping more than two pairs of adults. So yeah. we may produce 10 or 12 a year. And that's an animal that I already have people waiting. Just whenever they're for sale, let me know. And yeah. they'll move out as soon as they're ready, but I will never let them go until their garbage disposals like the rest of them. So Yeah, it's like, it's a serious, like, even the guys that are really good at it, are like, oh, I can't sell you any young ones. They have to, be, they can be like two years old or a year and a half old or something like that because you just, you need them to be positive that they're established. If not, they're not going to make it. Like, it's tough. So. We think about them a lot, actually, because people, um, when we've been shows, people ask us, like, oh, what's an animal that's going to stay, you know, so small? And we're like, well, it's not one you want to keep. Like might be the size you want, but it's not gonna it's not gonna be easy for you. Once they they're going though, they're great and they're super easy. And children's pythons, there's a bunch that they're, are they're real similar size. They're eating, but the problem is this is you get it like we we're talking about that balance of the business side and the hobby side and passion side. If I spend a year force feeding an animal for you to get it established and it's bulletproof and it's super rare. It's going to cost you a lot of money. You know what I mean? And a lot of people that are asking that question, they may not want to spend a thousand dollars on their on their pet. You know what I mean? Twelve hundred bucks. Yeah. So like, it's it. But you got to understand, the person who's selling that to you literally was like hunched yeah. over, tease feeding this thing, trying to get it to eat, for and like doing eight. that three, four times a week for like eight, nine, ten months, maybe even a year. Like, <laughs> that's what you're paying for. Yeah. And that's, you know, they, as, as a rare Python goes, you know, 1200 bucks for a year, year and a half, two year old. It, it really does kind of have out. Yeah. Right now that's for probably you and I, and people that are deep into it, that's like a normal price. But like the, the people that are out there that they go to shows and they see animals for 25, 50 bucks, they're like $1,200. What? <laughs> Like yeah, this probably is not for you. That and that and you know, for the listeners that are listening, we used to be like, we were that. I can't. We were that. We I spent three hundred bucks on a snake, and I'm like, this is like, this is you know, bless you. Was that a sneeze? Yeah, I was trying to get him to turn off the sound before I sneeze, but it wasn't fast enough. Sorry, yeah, we can still see you. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you move like that, you yeah. can't see anything. Yeah. Oh, what is she doing? Um. So, but yeah, we, you know, everybody has to start somewhere and things are expensive and it's, it's a lot of money sometimes. So, you know, you spend 300 bucks on a snake and you're like, wow, this is like crazy gangbusters. I can't believe I just did that. And then now we're like, oh, I can't believe we just spent, you know, $6,500 on a skink. And you're like, <laughs> it almost like, makes you lose a little bit respect for the amount of money because you're just you, we go so accustomed to whether it's selling snakes for that much or buying snakes from that much. Like yeah, yeah. that's kind of a ridiculous amount of money for a reptile to normally get desensitized pretty quickly. You're like, yeah. I could put a really good down payment on a car for that. <laughs> or like, what's as sometimes we think about we're like, oh man, I need to buy this thing and it's like a hundred bucks, and you're like, oh man, that's crazy. I don't want to, sp- I don't want to spend that. Like for something for life, like not in the business. You're like, hey, bro, you need health insurance. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like health insurance. Let's just let's just buy some more ball pythons. I'm young. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's so ridiculous how we like 
a hundred dollars means something different depending on what yeah, we're talking. We get about. mad when it's groceries, but yeah, snakes not a big deal. Yeah, I hate, I hate spending you know twelve dollars on certain cheesesteaks, but some of them are worth it. You know? <laughs> or like we needed a like a really sturdy like shelving yeah. unit just to store stuff, and like the really yeah. good ones are like. $150. And we were literally standing in Home Depot like I can't I can't get myself to buy that. Like It's also like the same mentality where you buy the $1000 animal but you only want to spend like $10 to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> Makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. We we say that, you know, certain things like that all the time. We're way past that point. Yeah, you get to you get to certain points where you're like, oh, I just had to buy this new thermostat, or I had to buy. Oh, the Herbstat Six for these things in here, and it's like four hundred fifty bucks. Oh, yeah, for a thermostat, you're like, but it well, feels so good. good. Plugging all Is those it in. Like Wi-Fi enabled or anything? Nope. I don't think so. No, no, it's just six thermostats in one. So. Yeah, it's six thermostats in one. Herbstats are good, so. That's good. That you yeah, can... that's something that we haven't because we don't we don't get to mess with them a lot anymore. Um, I used to use the Vivarium Electrics, but I've heard we, and we, I know we, people kind of uh, prefer the Herbstats. Eh, we we use them. We use the VEs on a lot of ball pythons. Um, the only reason we went with the Herbstat with this is because the Herbstat Six. I'm spending like $115 on a VE one. Or I can spend 450 on six of those combined into one. I'm saving 200, 150 bucks. So, but it's all relative. Yep, six probes and six plugs. And what do you guys do for uh, rodents? Do you usually do you need to get a certain amount of live? Do you produce a certain amount? We're really lucky that we have a rodent supplier in South Jersey that we're friends with. So. Uh, we can get it live whenever we feel like. Usually, yeah. usually, ninety percent of the time. It's a little bit of a ride, and we have a we have you know, if something goes wrong, we have a a friend or two that you know produce. We used to, so we tried. We could tell you the rat story. We tried oh, to produce rats. Yes, let's hear. When I say tried, we it's not that we no, produced we rats. Produced the crap out of some rats. We, we produced some rats. <laughs> Let me tell you something. As the guy who took care of the animals, <laughs> and rats are animals. Yeah. We're like, we got to breed our own food because we're spending so much money on rats. So it sounded like a great idea because we never bred rats before. So we created the rattery. So we're like, <laughs> what are we going to do? Because they smell and my wife doesn't like things that smell. That's fine. I don't like it either. But <laughs> so I, my brother was throwing away a, uh, a trailer, like a, it was a like tow along. A 20 foot camper. Yeah, pretty much. He was like, I'm going to sell it. And I was like, let me just have that. And I'm going to turn it into the rattery. So we gutted it. Ryan and I gutted it. We built these rat racks and we stuffed it. it Custom was rat, rat racks. racks that fit in there and we insulated yep. it and we yep. started the rattery in my backyard. Yeah. And it was great. I was spending like, so I had to feed our collection and buy rats for breeding uh, every week. And I was, I didn't know anybody that was really breeding the rats well, like at that volume. So I was buying it from a pet store. So I was spending Five, six bucks a rat. Yeah, so oh I was seriously God. spending like 300 bucks a week, 400 bucks a week on rats, right? And I did that for like three months. Right? That wasn't for a lot of rats. It, like, it was, yeah. So so we did that for like three months, and Ryan got it established. 
and he's like mad scientist over here now. So right, he's like, this one's colored different. I'm putting it with these. This one's balding. This one doesn't have a tail. Well, hold on. This one's like color morphs, color morphs, and pattern morphs in rats is really cool. It's fun because Trust they're so me. fast. Like you, you can, can find out in like three so months, quickly. six months. Yeah. Yeah. You're like you see the results. Um, and then all of a sudden we were producing like 450 rats a week, and we're like, oh crap. Wow. We needed <laughs> like 50 rats a week. We're like, well, let's make more because we'll sell the surplus to help offset the cost. It's it's difficult. It's tricky to do that sometimes. <laughs> the selling part is a little bit different. Yeah. I, this was real early on in R&B Reptiles, yeah. so we didn't have nearly a network we have now. Yeah, I could sell I could sell rats all day if I wanted to now. Like, but so this yeah. was like year <laughs> this was year two or year. Uh, you were six still, months. Yeah, we're this still, maybe six months. Ryan then. still lived down the shore then, and yeah, it was. So there was, was a great a, idea. <laughs> there was a wildlife rehabber that was down the street from us that had like birds of prey and like foxes and beavers. Super and stuff. cool. So we were like, well, he needs food for him. We'll give him a really screaming deal on these things, and yeah, uh, like fifty cents a large, like that kind of screaming deal. But we still Dang. had like three hundred extra. So. Yeah, we were, so we would you know we'd freeze off. Which was a whole thing. We freeze off a whole bunch, and um, <laughs> so I used to live down the shore, and I was a bachelor. I was by myself, and um, you're still a bachelor. Well, sort of. I have a girlfriend, but um, so anyway, actually, <laughs> you know, there is women involved. Um, but anyway, I had a. He says women loosely. All the girls were typing in the chat, so yeah, yeah. there's tons of. <laughs> Yes, Erica. I'm I'm sorry. I'm not single. Um, but uh, <laughs> she did not say that. She <laughs> okay. So anyway, so I people would come over and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, do you have um you know something to drink?" And they'd grab out of my fridge and they'd like open my freezer to for ice. And it's packed with rats. Like, <laughs> and it's one of those moments that people don't forget. Like. What is in these bags? And they're like, why is there? Oh, it's super normal for us, but for normal people, it's not normal at all. Yeah, I would suggest buying a separate freezer, which is what we have here. And what we've done is you have a freezer for all your rats, but don't bring up this subject. That. This is a really, uh, no, someone really just won't subject. type in freezer into Google and buy one. I finally conceded to doing it because we used to like not eat frozen things, but now we're eating more frozen foods because we're lazy and busy. Yeah, and, so, I would yeah. really like them out of my freezer. Yeah, we may have to separate. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> the, the freezers, not. Uh, oh, oh, thank goodness! <laughs> I got nervous every second. I see she didn't even flinch. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, we may have to separate. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I mean, freezers aren't. You get a, like a chest freezer. You can get it on a good deal. You know, I don't know. Come on, bucks. Yeah, a couple hundred bucks. And then you're in Home Depot again. Like, I don't know if I can spend this couple hundred bucks. Right. See, it's the same thing. He'll buy it on the snake tomorrow, but spending a couple hundred dollars on a freezer is like unheard of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, spent, I spent probably like $350 on isopods last week. Oh, $350? That's one thing I can't believe. Like you I love isopods. Yeah, what'd you get? Nothing. You got, I have to go. You got four rubber duckies for 350 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let, let's get clean. Isopods are way overpriced. What the heck? Not all of them. Not all oh, of them. Oh, come on. Uh, they're super tiny. <laughs> I mean, there's 
there's nothing that is going to keep them being at the price they're at, though. I mean, it's only going to get lower. Uh, yeah, no, I we like them. We have them. Ryan can breed them really well. So but some of them, you're like, oh, this one looks different and it's cool. It is cool, but I've seen them selling for like thirty bucks an isopod, and you're like, yeah, I get that. There's some for sixty. It's insane. And and they're like, oh, but all right. So you bought twelve of them. I'm gonna send you thirty of them because half of them are gonna die in the way. And you're yeah. like, you're sending me thirty when I just paid fifty bucks each. For them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to to be fair, they're super fun. They are super fun. They take me back to when I was a little kid and I'm turning over logs in the forest and looking at all the bugs. Like, yeah, I get it. But it is hard to spend that kind of money on isopod. Uh, not for everybody, apparently. <laughs> isopod king of Philly. Yeah, you yeah, are. Like, like, a lot. I mean, I still wish you had a spit. dog. We're going all in. How do they even count 100 lots? Like, I don't know. I'm just taking their word for it. It could be 25. We're, we're like, wait, we breed, you know, dubia roaches for like fun, kind of. We, we have animals that eat them, right? Um, but we don't do a lot with them. And people are like, hey, can we buy some? We're like, sure. We'll give you half the colony because we don't know how many are in there. It could be a couple thousand. Like, I don't know. Like, I need 50. I'm like, I'm just going to shake a bunch into this bucket. Does that look good to you? Okay. That's pretty much what we do. I, count I don't know how to count them. Like, how do people do that? I can see counting like 12, but yeah, 100 lots. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, it's interesting. It's a little uh, corner of the hobby that I think, I think more people are going to be keeping bioactive in the future. And absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think the market's going to grow, not necessarily the prices. They'll only go down because, you know, they're not hard to produce, but I don't know. It's fun. Lots of different color phases. Uh, reptile people like to collect things. So. I'm not asking. That's true. We have uh, spiny assassin bugs, and uh, I threw springtails and isopods in there to, as a cleanup crew because they need a little bit of humidity to lay their eggs in. And then I watched the assassin bugs eat all of the isopods <laughs> in like 15 minutes. I was like, uh. <laughs> it's a bad idea. <laughs> How many inverts do you have, and what do you have as far as uh? I guess I'm way more than my wife wants to hear me say right now. <laughs> She's not around. Um, so we have uh, only one species of tarantula. Ehamori. Um, we have six of those. Most of them, ironically, are female. We only really wanted a pair. So I don't know what we're going to do with all these things. We have a couple colonies of isopods and springtails. We have uh, some giant African millipedes, which are really cool. And fun and we'd yeah, love to rope. we'd love to figure out how to breed those but not yeah. many people are having success we have uh scorpions. whip scorpions we have a bunch of cb emperor scorpions like 13 of them that we're mm -hmm. growing up right now for a colony um what am i forgetting i might be we have like giant the, uh, cave assassin. cockroaches the assassin spiny assassin bugs which are the most awesome invert ever yeah, they're really cool. If you want so something that's special about them, I don't know much about about inverts. You can bring up a picture of one. I, I see you have that fancy technology where you can cast okay. the the spiny assassin bugs. First of all, they look crazy. They have these Perfect. huge spines. They're they're bright red and black, but they're like keeping little lions. 
if you want something that's super interactive, the they're just they're always out in the open. They're not scared of anything. And if you throw food in there, they will attack them like a pack. And like it was, it's just an amazing thing to watch. It's really weird. So, so what do you do? I mean, besides isopods, what do you feed them? Uh, doobie roaches mainly. <laughs> That's a baby. If you do the uh, the, the they're called uh, horita, like king spiny assassin bugs. They have these huge spikes that come out of the back. They it looks like a, a mutant alien. It's really yeah. cool. Do you touch it? No, 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 no. You do not want to get bit by one of those. You do Wait, not. So those are look, don't touch. <laughs> so are they venomous? They are venomous. Um, there's one right there. Uh, yeah, I'm pointing at it like you can see my finger. <laughs> they are venomous. Uh, but they are hesitant to uh, mess around with you if you put your hand in there. No, no, see, I, ugh, creepy. Oh, you see like, huge spikes coming off the back? Like, they're Crawl. ridiculous looking. This is, yeah, this is a creature from hell. And they, and they grow to like, you know, two inches or more. Like, they're a pretty beefy animal. And they will hunt whatever you throw in there as a pack. They, you'll get a little one that's like just a tiny baby and it will tackle, literally tackle something like four times its size and take it down. It's, it's crazy. Where Super do these things live? Where they live? Africa. These ones, there's, there's ones in New Jersey, but not. Yeah, same. they live in, in my, uh, my rack. Over here. Uh, there, there's other assassin bugs all over the world yeah. really, but there's, a, there's, those ones are the US most rare. called wheel bugs here, but yeah. Are they all like, devils you don't want to get yeah. bit by one but most of them are shy and they don't want to muck with you so if you're not doing something stupid you don't have anything to worry so, about yeah the, apparently the ones that are around here are a lot more aggressive than those african ones to be honest so are they kissing yeah. bugs they call them i don't know you ever see the story that come across facebook oh this kissing bug send somebody to the hospital blah blah, blah. that's what they're talking about it's a wheel bug or an assassin bug that's from north america I feel like I saw something about a kissing bug recently, but I could definitely be making that up. Wait. Yeah, there was a whole thing on them uh, this past summer. But they're, they're super colorful. They're very active. They don't hide a lot. They'll be out so you can watch these, them. These are uh, African ones. They're, the ones here are like brown, right? Yeah, they're not very col colorful here, but they are still very <laughs> cool to watch. Cool to watch. Scary to be playing with. Do they interact with each other in any type of way? While they're hunting, they'll they'll sit just next to each other and ignore each other. Um, but uh, while they're hunting, they will hunt as a pack. You'll yep. three or four of them will pile up on a bigger prey, take them down, and all feed off of it. It's it's really interesting because a lot of the inverts that you see are very shy. Like even the the scorpions, like if you drop a thing in there, they want you to leave before they try to attack it and eat it. Like these yeah, things are, they don't care. <laughs> yeah. They're super fun to watch and they're, they're really colorful and pretty. Um, the wheel bugs here. Yeah. What you were just showing are definitely not as cool looking, but definitely not something you want to get stung by. Still <laughs> something that I wouldn't expect to find in New Jersey. You know? Yeah. It's still yeah. A very unique. Creature. There's not a ton of those in the United States either. We like rare stuff. They, um, the, I think what was out was uh, that they are 
they can be invasive a bit. So if they get into an area where they um, do well and they'll end up eating a lot of insects or harming. Maybe. That's Maybe what the, that was. was uh, well, that was in uh, in Pennsylvania here because I we had a whole thing where I work. I work you know in Philly, and uh, there's a whole thing. If you they were saying if you see them, they ask that you kill them. Similar to the lantern fly. Issue. Yeah, the idea. So, and I don't know that I don't know the whole story behind it or what the deal was, but it was just like, I don't know. I guess they can be. The cool. lantern fly was my first like five dollars. <laughs> the lantern fly was my first like experience with like truly like an infestation. Like I think I've heard like growing up like oh there's a lot of these bugs are now in this season like watch out but like lantern flies were truly everywhere. It was such a and like watching them like like get bigger over year. What was that this year? You said when you were a kid. No, well, when I was a kid, I heard about like random bug infested, you know, but it never like I never really noticed it. But this or last summer when we were here in Philly is when the lantern fly thing yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like it truly felt like an infestation. Like they were everywhere. Well, we had the um those Japanese beetles for a while when I was a kid. We have them um, here. I hate those things. <laughs> and then in Colorado, when I was in Colorado, we had the uh some like pine beetle that basically killed all the uh, killed all the trees. I know someone's gonna message me tomorrow and be like, "It's not what it's called. This is what it's called." But yeah, is that your Colorado accent? Yeah. No, that's my that's my <laughs> first. Correct me in a message tomorrow. Oh gosh, these uh, beetles. Stephen Poole asked, "Which type of assassin bug was in the news some years back for potentially transmitting?" Shug, no, I'm not gonna say that. Shug, shug. I was probably the native one in the U.S. because that was the one that was making the rounds. Like people were talking about how getting a bite from one was sent to the hospital and stuff. While it is a painful experience, it shouldn't be life threatening or yeah. whatever. It's the same with a lot of, I think, insects. You know, like if you get bit by a tarantula, you're like, ah, it's it's gonna stink, but it could be that you depends, right? <laughs> but it could be that you're, you know, allergic or you have anaphylaxis. It's not necessarily the, yeah. the majority of people would actually have a bad reaction. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I'm not positive. Hercules beetles are really, really interesting, but more so about the larva than they are about the actual beetle itself. So the thing with those is they're really impressive for a short period of time. But most of the time they are under the ground in the dirt growing. So you don't yeah. get to see them until they, you know turn into a beetle and start to mate and then i think so they can be a larva yeah they they can be a larva for a really really long time like i forget exactly how, how long it is you might want to look it up but yeah you can see the pictures of them I think it's like eight months or something it's it's nuts it's really long time as a larva and then they're a beetle for like a few weeks or something like the, it's the breeding process yeah and that's it so they it's the craziest life cycle they're super cool as um as uh as a larva um but with that being said i encourage you to get involved in that project yeah you can find oh, it. <laughs> gross, 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 gross. yeah they get real see they're awesome as larva nope. and then nope. awesome if you like a giant larva of some sort so i just posted on my facebook a couple days ago a picture of a, a hercules beetle cake so it's the larva but it was huge and it was just a cake 
So uh, people are like cutting into it. Yeah, it's really? the Beatles awesome looking. Over, I can't watch. Dude, that I does not. Can't. That looks like it's from a horror movie. I can't look at it. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like Aliens vs Predator or something. But they don't live long as a beetle. It's nuts. Like they're. It makes a chamber out of its own feces. Yep. Yeah. Oh please! Like no, no. I actually know somebody breeding them. If you're interested. Oh, <laughs> 856-649-3149. I'm not breeding them, but look how pretty they are, man. He knows who's breeding them, though. I do know. I usually have a guy for that. What does that thing eat? Poop. It's poop. Thank you. It's poop. So that's a it. A lot of uh, people raise them to adulthood, and then they'll taxidermy them and pin them, which is another side of the invert hobby, I guess, is once the animals pass, they turn them into trophies. But yeah, I'm not... I haven't gotten into that part yet. <laughs> what is, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of these insects are like wild caught. Is there any urge to breed them or how the hell do you breed yeah, those? We're breeding them. Yeah, we're trying. <laughs> so aside from a couple of cats and a dog, any animal that comes into this house, Ryan tries to breed. <laughs> I can't breed it. We ain't getting it. <laughs> Just kidding. You never tried to breed me, but... <laughs> um, Man. This is why we don't do live streams. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so yeah, we, we try to breed everything. It's fun. It, it's the fun of it, you know. Actually, invertebrates are pretty easy to breed. I'm I like got into it with zero knowledge of invertebrates. I was just like, yeah, I can figure this out. No big deal. I've been breeding animals for you know six years, eight years, ten years, whatever. It's not that hard. We haven't we haven't bred the tarantulas yet. I know that uh, somebody asked that a while ago. We haven't bred them yet, but the ones that we have took a while to get to maturity. It's just the ones that are in like really specific microhabitats, like um, the giant African millipedes. They live their life cycle and breeding cycle in really specific environments, and if you can't replicate that, the rain cycle, the type of substrate moisture level in that substrate and all, all these different things it's just not going to happen yeah so it's really really specific some of them you have to dial in perfectly to get it done but a lot of them will just do it on their own and i mean if you did find a way to breed them or you did have success i mean how many babies would that millipede have oh my goodness like a hundred yeah and we we bought our pair for like 220 bucks or something like that for a pair of just two insects. Jesus Christ. So, yeah. Oh, and you okay. talk about isopod, <laughs> isopods, Scott. <laughs> these, are, these are millipede like dogs. Like, they're like, I can't, I never know how many, how big are they? <laughs> they're like uh, eight to, to 12 inches long. No. Yeah, if you give me a, a ducky isopod that's eight to twelve inches long, I'll spend that money all day. Size <laughs> doesn't always matter, and they're all still bugs, in my opinion. Uh, okay, well, factually wrong on two accounts. <laughs> <laughs> so getting involved in that one. They have like Hoffman's egg guy. They have some pretty big isopods now. I mean, like, like five, six inches almost. Those are impressive. And you can get the uh, marine ones. They grow to like a foot. Dude, Tom too, who was in the he was in the chat before. He sent me a random picture of this I, this aquatic isopod that is like like bigger than a rugby ball. Yeah, they're crazy. <laughs> That's nuts. Someone no, that's not natural. 
that's a marine isopod, yeah. Yeah, Please don't ever even Google it. Google it right now. <laughs> Giant. I, I start breeding coconut crabs. I mean, <laughs> I don't know why you didn't bring that home. That would have been awesome. Uh, that one does look more like a crustacean. They do. Have well, they, they are. Well, duh. I'm just saying it looks like it. The rest <laughs> look like bugs. What do you believe to be bugs? What I believe to be a crustacean. Yep, they look like bugs. Holy that God. looks not real. <laughs> it looks like someone giant isopod fried rice. I was right. I don't know why. That's that's it eating a alligator. That's crazy, dude. They're just picking at this dead gator. They can eat through that. Yeah. Wow. There, there's a video of them at, at depth in the ocean where the isopods are eating a shark. Like they attack a live shark and eat it. Like it's crazy. Wow. Dude, this is something. Okay. Is that a good way to end it? My stomach level is at a, like between the beetles <laughs> and that. It's super weird. Brian's trying to breed water bears. Water what? <laughs> Google those. Oh, God. Are, are they gross? Wait, what was it? Water bears? You don't even have to try. They grow on your skin. Yeah, I'm very confused. <laughs> oh, just Tardigrades. Tardigrades. <laughs> Y'all, I'm going to pee. They're, they're like microbial. You mass. can't even kill those things. You shoot them in outer space, they still live. <laughs> they look like something Figure from Ghostbusters. You, you already, you guys are already a breeding project for them. I thought we were bug people. What are we Stop. talking about? It all, I can't. I'm gross. Wait, out. since we have the Google going, is there any species that you guys really want to get into that you should show us? And then I'll tell you the one that that Ryan wants to get into. Um, please, one that's not gross. That's not going to make me puke. No, I don't really. I don't really know. Is there anything that we're that we're really that hairless into? hedgehog? Hairless. A what? A hairless hedgehog. Anything hairless is out. No, they're really cool. I hate hairless cats. And so I, oh, naked ball. That rat. looks like a ball sack. I oh. think that is a ball That is exactly what it is. <laughs> they are in Europe. We can find them. I know a guy. I know a guy. You want to get in on a project? This is the next big thing, right? They're here. a few hundred bucks, but then getting them here and all that, like it, it's a it's a thing. You know, I think we could do it for like six hundred bucks or so. Can't yeah, hairless hedgehog. There you go. Well, there's one attached to a chair. <laughs> That's a coin purse. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about your projects? You guys are. <laughs> I mean, we like the species that we work with. Oh, okay. ooh, probably one of my, really a species that I would love to have, but I don't really want to keep. Uh, I have a few of those. It's like I want to have it, but I would need to pay more attention to it. Is uh, the Sunnycolis triapsis, the Western green rat snake? And so this is actually native to uh, Arizona, and that is a reasonable choice. I congratulate you. Yeah, that's very reasonable. That's wasn't even ball sack. I mean, it's a green snake. If you're not bringing ball sacks, I don't know what you're doing. (laughs) Those look really cool. Yeah, but I, I I think people 
haven't exactly figured them out a hundred percent. So yeah. um, they've, I mean, they've obviously they're native, so they've been around, but there hasn't been much success, which kind of speaks to the, uh, how hard they are to keep. Yeah. But, okay, but we have passed our 2000, wow. Our 2000 hours. We've passed our 2000 views. <laughs> We've passed I our wish. two hours. I'm very close to throwing up. Um, so for something not <laughs> That's how we like to end it for something not gross, if people want to get in contact with you, uh, how can they reach out to you? Um, just take your phone and scan this right now. No, just kidding. Um, YouTube slash RB Reptiles, Instagram R underscore and underscore B underscore reptiles. <laughs> That's real annoying. Just take the ampersand. Uh, Facebook, RMB Reptiles, 856-649-3149. Anytime, day or night, we will answer your call. <laughs> By we, you mean Ben. The guy yes. who doesn't take care of the animals. Yeah. So, <laughs> sometimes there's a trade-off there. He's like, oh, I take care of the animals all the time. And I'm like, yeah. But I just had a three-hour conversation with a guy that wanted to tell me how to run the business. Like, stuff like that happens. And it was like, a great conversation. You learned a lot. <laughs> So yeah, there's that. Thank you. Sweet. Check out, and you can check out uh, RMB Reptiles on YouTube, and you'll see a video of myself and also Matthew Mosa, which I mentioned earlier, which is an amazing, uh, amazing two great interviews. Yeah, very great interviews. Very well received. Yep. Very What's great. What's that? He said yeah, you and, you and Matthew Mosa. You guys knocked it out of the park, man. It was, great. It was a great time hanging out too. Yeah, that I didn't see. Uh, I thought the pine snake was a lot closer to my face when it initially happened, but <laughs> I had a little bit of room there. He probably wasn't going to get me. It was awesome. Look, that man. pine snake was. I to be honest, that's the one that I remember most of. Like how I would want to keep that animal because of how, like, because it's endangered and all this stuff. Like, it's just it's a really cool animal. He seriously has been going on about it nonstop. He's like, those pine snakes were cool. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> They were. You'll hear them in the next room. I don't know if anyone breeds them in New Jersey. Um, it sounds oh, yeah, silly because we're only lines. across a bridge, but, but yeah. I can't, I can't, can't do it. I, I can gift one to you, but it, I'd have to produce a lot of them. I'm sorry. I'd have to produce a lot of what them. What if we gifted something to you in exchange? You gifted something to us. Well, now we're talking, but <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll dial six whatever do it again. Five, six, six, four, nine, three, one, four, nine, anytime day or night <laughs> there you go i'll maybe i'll hit that up later so as for us port city pythons port city pythons.com port city python instagram port city pythons actually the first people that text that number right now gets free stickers Ooh. well i'm gonna text it because we need to put it on our damn wall <laughs> i know we saw some of those guys um what we have else? our address again if you guys can make it to florida we'll be at carpa fest we will be there friday to sunday we are probably going to the um alligator Saint farm alligator yeah the farm. Saint Augustine alligator farm on sunday and maybe even ryan and ben will be there maybe maybe who knows you should be there we need content <laughs> dude it, it's orlando cheap or flights there are very cheap uh, it's in four days but when you do it like the day before not as cheap. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. Thank you. <laughs> thank you guys so much for coming on. And thank, thank you, you everyone for watching tonight. We will see you next week. Thank you so much. Later, Bye. guys. Woo!